It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Keeping dogs properly and responsibly. That's what we're trying to do. We can't do it anymore. I was so angry listening to him. A hundred euro is all we'll get, basically, for our baby. Between the jab and Christmas, you know, you could slip in a bank holiday in, you know, late November, early December. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Punch 96. May the 4th be with you. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. Good morning. 0818 96 96 96. You have to ask yourself, do you not, how many more times they can put up interest rates before people start to break and before we get back into an era where people just can't keep up with their mortgages. We had that. The bloody place crashed down around our ears because of it and during it. And here we go up and up and up and up again. Am I so glad? Oh, I'm so, so glad that earlier this year I went down and had a meeting with my mortgage lender and I said, what are my options here? I, I don't want to part with my tracker mortgage, but I, what are my options here? We've now fixed Locked down for three years at a half decent rate, but but honest to God Almighty, another interest rate hike coming from the European Central Bank. The the economists will tell you if you're listening to them. Well, you see, to get inflation down, we have to put interest up, which is fine. But the more you put interest up, the more it the harder it gets for people to live. Your thoughts are welcome at 0818969696. It comes at the same time, and I'll come back to this later on. Another price war starting in the supermarkets now with milk last weekend. Now it's butter. They're telling us other stuff is going to start coming down. Not before time. The farmers, of course, are complaining. Have you seen that? The milk came down in price. Butter's coming down in price. Other stuff likely to come down in price. We all welcome that as people who have a certain amount of money every week to spend on our groceries. The farmers are giving out. You know, the farmer, oh, no, 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 no. Well, hang on a second. Milk, butter, eggs, bread, they're basics. People need that, and they got too expensive. Anyway, you could be there all day ranting about the stuff that's going on 
But down in Killarney, they're meeting. It is Killarney, I think they were there this year. Yeah, it's their annual Denegal Conference of the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation. And we've talked how many times about the pressure that nurses are operating under. And so many people have called me here of a morning to complain about this happened to me in the emergency department or that happened to my mum in the emergency department or we were waiting for this or waiting for that and whatever. And we... Every single person, I I don't think I've ever had anybody on the end of my phone here of a morning complaining about what they'd been through at CUH or the Mercy or anywhere else who didn't say and didn't take that five seconds today. But you know what, PJ? The nurses were brilliant. They were fantastic. There just wasn't enough of them. And those who were there were worked off their feet. I've heard that said to me a hundred times. And everybody says it, no matter how bad an experience they've had and how distressing it's been for them or their family. They'll always say, PJ, the staff, the nurses are brilliant. They're just overworked. Well, here we go now with a survey coming from the INMO. Nine out of ten members that they surveyed across Cork and Kerry, nationally in fact, said they were close to or felt they were close to Burnout. Now, burnout ain't just being tired and wrecked and needing to catch up on your sleep on a Saturday. Burnout is a state of physical and emotional illness. And if 9 out of 10, 94% of nurses and midwives consider that their work is bringing them close to the edge of burnout, we have not just a problem, we have an emergency. Colin Porter is the Assistant Director of Human Relations in Cork and Kerry with the INMO. Colin, I couldn't say it again, I have to repeat it again, people say the nurses are brilliant, there's just not enough of them, and they're run off their feet. Here's the proof on paper. Morning. Morning, PJ. Uh, thank, thanks again for having us on to, to talk about our um, work and well-being survey. And uh, absolutely couldn't agree more with your your, your sentiments there regarding the, uh, the 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 role that nurses are playing and and just the the lack of of nurses. Um, and I know you kind of touched on it there. Although the the, the survey of IRO members is across the country, it is very reflective of all the experiences of nurses and midwives working in you know healthcare city, all healthcare settings across Cork. So the the survey. It took place um, uh, of our members. It took place during, I suppose you, you'd call it the, the worst of the, the overcrowding crisis so yeah. far this year. So it was between January and, and March. Although we have subsequently um, have had um, record overcrowding in, in Cork in, in April, but the, uh, the the results of the the survey paints a very stark picture of, of the reality that nurses and midwives are, are facing every day. And just to give your listeners a brief outline of what our members told us in yeah. the survey uh, when they're asked about uh, safe staffing levels, almost um, 85% of respondents stated that staffing levels did not meet the the required clinical and patient demand in their their work areas. And 66 of the respondents felt that patient safety was being put at risk very often uh, or always, which is a a very stark kind of statement as well. Uh, And I know, again, you kind of have touched on on the the fact of the need to, you know, get more nurses, but the the other side of it is actually retaining 
in nurses as well. Yeah. And 74% of the, the respondents have stated that they considered leaving their job actually um, in, in the last month. And, you know, they have, they're working on citing those, those those things that, that you've um, you've outlined, you know, yeah. the likes of workplace stress, feeling exhausted, feeling undervalued. These are all the, the, the motivators for, mm. for why they are considering actually leaving their job. So, I mean, like, you know yourself, PJ, like the, the main priority for, for nurses and midwives is to provide safe patient care. But the environment that they're actually working in in the mo- in the mo- in, in, in the moment is actually making this very challenging, if not impossible, as the uh, the survey results kind of outlines. In my reporting days, Colm, I often attended your annual conference and I remember clearly the passion with which your members spoke. Now, we're talking 10 and 12 years ago before we had the serious problems we have now. But reading the, the reports coming out and that survey that you've done... I'm conscious that there's a piece of legislation, I'm sure you are too, called the 2005 Health Safety Work Act. And I'm thinking there must be breaches of this all over the place in the health service. Yeah, that is the the, the reality with the the overcrowding the overcrowding crisis in uh, in Cork. Um, as I said, on the eighteenth of April, we actually reached uh, record levels, and the, the INMO has been uh, recording trolley numbers since uh, two thousand and six. And it was on the eighteenth of April, twenty twenty three, that um, it, it, re- it reached record uh, levels. We had one hundred and thirty two patients uh, admitted to to hospital without a bed in both COH uh, and the Mercy. Uh, now, now we have kind of seen that the the figures have fallen um, somewhat in, in recent weeks, but it's still um, unacceptably high. And you do see across across both um, areas. You know, you see uh, trolleys been placed in inappropriate areas. Trolleys been placed on wards that are already at one hundred percent occupancy. So yeah, so so the reality is that 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 is what you know INMO members are are faced with every day across Cork. What was seasonal is now normalised. Fair? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we used to kind of talk about uh, winter pressures and whatnot, but, you know, what our members are saying to us um, on a daily basis is that, you know, it's not winter pressures in the winter, it's winter pressures all year round. Um, so, yeah, and, and the thing is that I, I don't think I'm, I'm engaging in hyperbole when I say that we are experiencing an, an overcrowding crisis, you know, both mm. within Cork and nationally. Uh, and the HSE really needs to treat it as a crisis uh, and we need a response akin to what we saw during COVID-19. I think COVID-19 did show that, that the health service does have the capabilities mm-hmm. to successfully react when there's an emergency situation. No. And ultimately... I, Go on, sorry. Oh, so ultimately, the, the the root cause of the problem in Cork is is bed numbers. There, there's just simply not enough bed numbers within um, COH. There's not enough beds within the community. Uh, so plans and any plans that have been put in place to increase bed capacity, they're clearly not having the impact that that they need to. So the HSE really do need to renew their efforts. First of all, to improve bed capacity with within uh, Cork, but also the patient flows through, through hospitals as well. That, that, that they're, they're the two essentials that need to improve. How much of an element of this is the fact that after 5pm, um, Colm, everything, pretty much everything is funneled into the ED at CUH? Yeah, look, that 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 I think, you know, the HSE do need to look at uh, all options that, that, 
that are available to them, uh, you know, both within the acute setting, but but in the, the, the community as well. But ultimately, that that is a big problem whereby you do get to a certain time in, in the day uh, and everything goes into into COH. And the, the direct result of that is, you know, is unfortunately the, the record break in numbers that we've we've only seen in the hospital um, a number of weeks ago. Mm. Now, the INMO would traditionally have been one of the unions column that the government didn't like to go ac- didn't like to cross yet because you'd bare your teeth and you could be a very angry union when you wanted to be so what can you as a union as an organization do about this ra- other than just compile a survey and say here's what we found so yeah, so obviously we, we we're we're down in Killarney at our conference for the next couple of days, and the IMO conference will be addressed by the the HSE chief executive um, Bernard Gloucester today, and tomorrow by uh, the the health minister uh, Stephen Donnelly. Um, so I suppose the hope is there that they will provide some reassurances uh, to our members regarding the, the the plans they have in place to you know, increase the, the, the number of staff, uh, the number of nurses and midwives, but also to, to address the, the ongoing um, overcrowding uh, crisis. But, you know, if that isn't forthcoming, we, we will need to consider um, all options um, available to us because since 2019, nurses and midwives have been dealing with, you know, crisis after crisis and there there simply hasn't been, been any let up. Um, and to be honest, um, I suppose the survey, the survey really reflects it. Is mm. that 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 simply can't um, can't go on? Is there an appetite for industrial action? Well, the thing is, is it's always uh, like uh, as I've kind of said, it, it's always the the very last resort for any uh, nurse or, or midwife sure, to sure. take um, any form of. Um, but is there an appetite there now, based on your observations in Killarney the last couple of days? But, uh, absolutely, that 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 is coming through. Uh, what what is coming through is that you know. Um, you know, members are burnt out, staff are burnt out. Um, they're dealing with, um, you know, trying to treat patients in unsafe conditions on, on a daily basis. Um, you know, they're working short-staffed uh, more often than not. Um, and, and that is simply something that, that, that can't go on. I mean, since, again, since 2019, they've been dealing with all of these uh, crises. And, um, and yeah, I, I, I mean, at some at some stage, you know... You there's a mood there, is what you're telling that, me. There, there's absolutely a mood there, yeah. Someone is saying here on the phone, and it's a practical uh, comparison of, you know, trolleys and chairs in in corridors. If I put a pile of boxes in the corridor at work, I'd be told, shift them out fairly lively. It's beyond belief that this is tolerated. It wouldn't be tolerated in any other workplace. This person's speaking, of course, of someone coming in, and the only place you have for them is at the side of a corridor on a trolley. Not your fault. You just have nowhere else for them. Yeah, that 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 is because because you would look at any other any other industry or anything like that if you had you know the lights of um, something blocking uh, a fire exit or or whatnot you know a place may almost be be shut down as a result of it but you know the the fact that the sheer demand that we see on the uh, the, the emergency departments and the other areas of hospitals both in CUH and the Mercy um, it is it's 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 a daily it's a daily occurrence that that you see that happening. Is and I don't, I don't haven't seen your claw column for your event, but is there a discussion coming before members on what we do about this and the possibility of industrial action? 
Yeah, so there is, so there will be a, um, well, obviously, as I said, we're, we're, we will be addressed by um, the, the chief executive of the HSE and also by, by, by Stephen Donnelly. But there's, you know, numerous motions in there that are talking about the, the ongoing um, overcrowding crisis and, you know, what, what we're going to do regarding that, what we're going to do regarding um, uh, safe staffing. Uh, so, so all of those um, issues are being discussed through the, the various numbers of, um, of motions that have been submitted by by you know branches across Cork and and, and up and down the country, uh, and what um, what those next steps might entail um, should should we not get those assurances from the uh, the key decision makers? Mm. What about assaults? It's been a, reported at previous conferences the number of assaults, the level of assaults. Is that continuing? Yeah, it's absolutely. Again, like it was another question that we asked within um, the, the the survey of members that we had, and um, I mean the, the 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 results from that were quite quite staggering as well. You know, um, of the 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 members that we surveyed, they said that almost sixty five percent of respondents stated that they had um, experienced you know aggressive um, behaviour in the workplace um so look that that is again something that that can't uh continue um you know we again we need assurances from from the hsc that there is a, a, a zero tolerance approach taken towards um any assault of of, of a nurse or, or, or midwife but i suppose the, the thing to note is that the environment that has been created the overcrowded environment you know um the the short-staffed environment um you know there, there is a direct there a direct result of that is that um, you know nurses and midwives have been put in, in a more vulnerable um, situation, whereby you see you know patients potentially becoming more aggressive. Um, so all of this kind of comes back to the fact that uh, you know hospitals are overcrowded and there's yeah. not enough well, nurses and midwives to the, care for the people. The direct correlation is a quote um, from the great Chris Luke, uh, who says repeatedly, "Difficulty makes people." difficult. So is it any wonder people would get riled up in a situation where Mammy has been sitting on a corridor for two days? Absolutely. Yeah, that 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 is that that's the that's the direct um you know, uh, feedback that we get from members is that um, they're just saying, seeing more and more of the, the, these instances because, you know, loved ones are sitting on a chair or or on a trolley for, you know, an entire weekend at, at some stages. Um, although, like, obviously kind of any um, aggression or assault towards... Never any, acceptable, and, and, never acceptable, it, but it, often explainable. Never acceptable. Um, but but it is explainable, and you know yourself. Nobody should um, nobody should go to work to be assaulted. Um, yeah, especially not um, you know nurses or, mm. or, or midwives. You know who are, are caring for people in their their, their darkest but, hours at some at sometimes. But a friend who was in hospital recently, Colm, and I leave you with this, spoke to me privately about his experience, and he said the care he received he could not question. But one particular night, a young nurse sat down by his bed and wept. Yeah. She wept. Again, yeah. He'd befriended her over the period of time he was there. And she wept. And she said, I just can't do this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, it, it is a picture. If you were to come to to our conference today and, and, and listen to the delegates speaking about the the, the various um, different motions around the, the, their work environments, um, a similar thing w- would be painted. Um, you know, I think our survey outlines it uh, very well. But um, yeah, to kind of, to kind of sum up, 
you know nurses are, are at a point of um of of burnout and mm. and something needs to be done either by um the government or, or, or by the HSA or, um, you know, if that isn't forthcoming, um, mm. as I said, the INMO is going to have to consider uh, what, what what form of um, action we need to take to, to ensure it, it does. Okay. Colin, thank you. Colin Porter, have a good conference. He is Assistant Director of Human Relations with the INMO across Cork and Kerry. 0818-96-96-96. Honestly, they have all these capacity issues, says John and Cove, and all the government is doing is bringing in more people into an already overloaded system, be it workers from abroad or be it refugees. There's no thinking going on. If you bring in loads, you have to provide for them top of that, I don't agree with giving out a load of doctor visiting cards the way the system is doing. For the same reason, you don't increase demand without increasing supply. The GP clinics are going to end up like the A&E. Yeah, you're not wrong, John. 0818 96 96 96. You guys ready? Drive home weekdays from four on Corks 96 FM. Whether you're leaving work, school, or college, make sure you're with me every evening on the big drive home. I've got celebrity chats. Every summer I'd be going to the bog. I can confirm a tea break at the bog is the best. I've got all things Cork, and I mean all things. Speaking of tattoo fails, or you have the crests that the Cork County Council vans have on my shoulders. And I've got the music that you want to hear. Tunes pumping, no better feeling. So all we need is you. Join me. Lorraine every weekday from four. Big drive home with Nyan Motors, your number one for Kia in Cork. Cork's 96 FM. Three weeks from this moment, we will be three hours and 27 minutes into the Cork's 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon. It will all have kicked off this day, three weeks, running 25th to 27th, raising funds for Cork Cancer Services. We need you to help with three weeks to get everything in place place, you can do a coffee break, do it at home, do it at work, get a bucket or get a proper change jar, save up your loose change. There's a lot less of them around than there used to be with all this cashless crack, but they're out there. They're out there. Get them together. Put on your jersey for Jersey Day on the Friday. Just do anything that you can think of and anything you'd like to put together for to raise money for the Corks 96 FM Giving for Living Radio We'll send you a fundraising pack if you sign up now at 96fm.ie and from 6am on May 25th we go live with the Giving for Living Radiothon uh, 2023 on Cork's 96FM 0818-969696 Staying with Matters Medical We talked about this before there are new chemicals on the market that people are using to boost tanning Now, God be with the days when we went out in the garden and read the paper on a sunny day. And that was as much as we needed. Or we went down to Fountainstown on a sunny afternoon and ran around in the sun and that was enough for us. But not anymore. Um, There are injectables out there. There are new nasal sprays for tanning, which seem to be a real problem. Let's talk to uh, Dr. John Sheehan, local GP. John, a lot of these things are unregulated. No one knows what's in them, and yet they sell well. Morning. 
Morning, PJ. Yes, you're certainly right. And um, unfortunately, if you go online, PJ, you can find loads of these products that are out there, the injectables, but uh, also the nasal spray now is, uh, is being used. And the, the, the theory behind it is that you take a nasal spray of what's meant to be melatonin and then that helps you tan um, and more. And this time of year, people seem to be more into that. And the problem with it is, one, that you've no idea what you're putting up your nose because when you buy stuff online, you have no idea where it's coming from. It may look like a fancy label, it may look great, but you have absolutely no idea what's in it. And the second problem is you think people can think that they're, oh, they're going to tan fine and they're going to get a great tan and they're not going to get any sun damage. But of course you are. The, 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 the sun will damage you. Um, Irish people who go to Australia, PJ, have the highest rate of skin cancer in the world. Mm. Uh, we're not we're not built for sun. That's been, I'm certainly not built for sun. Um, you know, and so people are putting themselves at risk uh, um, of skin cancer further down the line. But the difficulty is a lot of younger people tend to be using these products. And when you're young, you're oblivious to what may happen in 10, 20 years time because you're, you're, you're just thinking sort of more short term ahead. I know you can find whatever you want on the internet, John, and it's not all true, but I remember watching a video one night about these nasal sprays and the person who was saying about them was a nurse and she said, look, take them and use them. I don't approve of it, I don't agree with you doing it, but take them and use them if you must. But then when you go out in the real sun, you could be in serious trouble because of the effect they have on your body. Yeah, you really could because you're 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 basically saying to to the sun, come and come and burn me. That's really the message that you're 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 giving out there. And people, of course, think that they're protected, but you're not. You know, you're you're not protected unless you're using you know uh, factor fifty and all the usual other precautions. Um, so it gives this false sense of security. And then also, PJ, you're you're, you're putting stuff up your nose, which people think, oh, I'm not injecting anything, I'm not taking anything yes. bad. But you have no idea what you're what product you're putting and. Again and again, the Health Product Regulatory Authority have looked at a lot of these products and found that they are just a bit of everything in them. And, you know, they're just adulterated with all sorts of rubbish. And we don't know what's in them. So why would you buy a product, one, that increases your risk of skin cancer, two, that doesn't work, and three, that in- potentially increases your risk of, of, of picking up something that you don't know what substance you're putting in your body? This, uh, one of these nasal sprays is reported to cause kidney damage or potentially cause kidney damage. Oh, yeah, they they can be mixed in with all sorts of things because they're absolutely completely unregulated. They're not passed. There's no safety checks. It's companies doing it, putting up flashy online stuff. And when you go online and you, you, you type in this or you type in, you know, any other things like anabolic steroids or anything, you get a array of stuff that looks like a supermarket, PJ. The reality is you've no idea what's in any of these products um, and that's 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 the difficulty and unfortunately it's young people who who, who tend to take mm. these products because they, you know they, they're more into the immediate and the, the tan and the look and things like that and that's the danger of it yeah yeah what kind of things have you come across in your surgery john as a result of people using these these products, I, I, I've, unfortunately, I've come across people in their uh, early twenties uh, with, with with skin damage, severe skin damage from it, and and you know they've had to be go for skin biopsies for skin cancer and things like that because the amount of, of sun exposure that they've had, and, and and the other difficulty people have, PJ, is they they take these products and then they go on the sunbeds and then they think, oh, that's great, now I'll accelerate my tan and I'll get a tan very quickly. 
but you're just absolutely burning your skin. And, you know, if you have sun damage in your early 20s, by the time you're in your 40s, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble with your skin because, you know, that's that's a huge amount of uh, sun exposure uh, yeah. at a very young age. And that's the problem. The product you talked about earlier on, and I spoke about it before, Melanotan. Name-wise, it's all often... It's often confused with melatonin, but melanotan, that's, that's the spray one, isn't it? That's the spray one, yeah. So, so, so they always have lovely names. They always have lovely bottles. It looks great. Um, it'll you know, give you a shortcut to what look you want. That's all the usual marketing stuff that goes out there. But they're rubbish, PJ, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, there's, there's no scientific evidence for them. We don't know what they are. They're increasing people's risk of skin of, uh, uh, of skin damage. Um, and certainly, and I know I sound like a fuddy-duddy saying this, but, um, you know, we need to protect people for, for, you know, going into the future. And I just strongly would, particularly this time of year, because, you know, we're seeing, you know, the summer coming, people mm. going on holidays and things like that. So that's why I just wanted to get the message out there. Um, you know, that these products aren't good and just mind yourselves. Yeah. As a doctor, John, an experienced one, where do you stand on... There, there is a view out there, and I've spoken to it, that a tanned skin is damaged skin. Do you go with that? Because there's nothing feels better or looks nicer than a nice light tan. So is damaged skin, is, is tanned skin damaged skin in your medical opinion? Well, well, sunlight is good for us, you know, and we all, you know, if you go on holidays and you, you you come back feeling refreshed and you get a dose of sun, you feel great and the vitamin D levels go up. So, you know, we do feel better for, for, um, um, from it. And if you get a light tan, that's absolutely fine. The difficulty is, is if you get repeated sun exposure and, um, you know, you, 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 you get a tan where you're burning and, and, and really, you know, it's getting worse. But if it's a light, light tan, if people are sensible, I think that's fine. It's the repeated burning. And yeah. it's unfortunately the Celtic genes, PJ, were not particularly built for tanning. No. Um, and that's the difficulty. Yeah. You know? All right. That's, that's, that's a good one to finish on. John, thank you very much, Dr. John Sheehan. It's still out there. You can get it online. You can get anything you want online, but please don't, is the message from uh, medical doctor. John Sheehan, do not use stuff like melanotan. Do not use sprays. Do not use injections. Do not use any of that old rubbish. Use Factor 50 and protect yourself in very hot sunshine. You're damaging your skin. You'll do t- in fact, you'll probably do more damage to your skin than getting out in ordinary, regular sunshine. But still it's there. Still people take it. Still people use it. They just won't be told. 0818 96 96 96. Now, we, we, we all kind of had those experiences, didn't we? I can remember. It was what put me... I'm, I'm careful in the sun. I love the sun. I get out in the sun. I sit in it. I love the sun. I'm careful about it. I wear a hat and put on Factor 50 on sensitive areas and all that kind of crack. But I remember being, God, the most I was. The most I was was maybe 14, if I was even that. And I went to a strawberry farm. Remember, you'd go out and you'd do that. You got buckets, you filled the buckets with strawberries and they were weighed at the end and you got a few pence, as it was then, for the number of pounds you'd get. And you pick strawberries for hours and you'd eat more than you pick and I remember going down to one particular place and picking strawberries for the day and coming out and my skin was the same colour as the berries inside in the bucket I was destroyed absolutely destroyed 
And from that day to this, I don't let myself born. I just don't. Uh, never forget it. I was only a kid at the time. Um, we've all had that experience, though. And so other people do silly. I've heard of people. I've heard of people putting baby oil on their skin. But that's mad. Um, someone, someone told me this crazy story of a person who sits with tin foil around their neck and 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 baby oil on their face. Give me a break here. Big local sports story today: the departure of Colin Healy from Cork City FC with Dermot Usher on the show a week or two ago talking about developments at the club and look on the pitch things not going well at all so far even though Dermot remains positive that everything will turn itself around Colin Healy departed last night he's been in charge now for the bones of three years I'll chat with Trevor Welsh a bit later this morning about that about what might happen now for Cork City FC and actually staying with with matters of sport uh, you you no doubt uh, have have heard about the Cork and Tip match not being on the telly and the Limerick and Clare match last weekend was not on the telly. I know this because I was out doing a, a little job of the evening and I turned on the radio and there's Marty, of all the Morrisseys, losing his reason, as only Marty does brilliantly, uh, at the match between Limerick and Clare. And I said, I've got to get home now and put that on the telly and watch the last 20 minutes. It wasn't on the telly. It was on this GAA Go thing. And you'd have to pay 12 quid for the privilege of watching it. And the very same with, with um, Cork and Tip this weekend. I mean, Cork and Tip, like, you, that's, that's compulsory viewing. 12 quid if you want to watch it on this GAA Go thing. Um, that's, that, I'm sorry, that's not right. That's not right. Um, that's our own, these are our own national sports, our own national championship. Yeah, it was with some of it was on Sky for a few years. That's over now. This is a a thing between RT co-owned, if you don't mind, by RTE and the GAA. This GAA go thing at twelve quid a pop to watch Cork and Tip, which is interesting because they're going to show the coronation on Saturday. Four hours of the coronation on RTE. That'll be for nothing. You won't have to pay to see that. You won't have to pay to see the. You won't have to pay to see Charles getting his new hat this weekend but you'll have to pay to see Cork and Tip down the park it's the little things that get to you isn't it Uh, Gary Barlow's after becoming a property developer. That's his new business now. Do you know he's had a couple of businesses? Yeah. He had a, a publishing company. I assume music publishing. He did that new show, Let It Shine. But he also uh, had Organic Wine, which sold over half a million bottles. He had that business where he created uh, pubs for shorter people. Didn't he? Barlow. <laughs> Limited. Gary Barlow Limited. Casey and Ross in the morning. Test drive the award-winning Skoda Enyaq electric SUV at no DC cars. Skoda sales dealer of the year. Courts 96 FM. Somebody not happy with me. I'll get to it in a minute. Somebody not happy with me at all. My comments about the uh, bread and the milk and the butter and stuff start to come down and the farmers complaining about that. Someone not happy with me. That's all right. That's allowed. We love talking about stuff that just 
takes off and becomes a runaway success. Because there's a lot of it about, and it's a negative world, a lot of bad news out there day to day. I suppose I could be accused of um, selling a lot of it to you. Uh, Heavy duty bad news, but there's a lot of good stuff going on. The Cork Rooftop Farm started during lockdown as a kind of a pet project to see just what you could do at such a restricted time with what you had and the resources and the nature that you had to hand. And now, Brian, not one, but two restaurants going into the Cork Rooftop Farm. <laughs> Did you ever expect this, my friend? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. No, I, I certainly did not. Um, no, I, I, I was, when I started it, I would have been happy with the, a bit of fruit, a bit of fruit and veg and herbs for my dinner. That's kind of where it all started. So to to end up where we are now, uh, I have to pinch myself sometimes. You know, so it is. Uh, yeah, it's it's incredible, really. How, take us how back. It's take us back to the start. It was uh, uh, to pass the time during lockdown, really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Basically, I I I had to close my my wholesale flower business temporarily during cause of the COVID restrictions. And myself and my friend Ty, we started growing fruit and veg and, and herbs and, and on, on, on the rooftop adjacent to where I live. Um, just as a, a, a bit of a project, we documented it all in social media and it, it uh, kind of hit a nerve, it resonated with people and it, it, it started to, to get a bit of attention and then we, we developed it into a business and yeah, it's kind of come along now over the last three years mm. to where we are today. Inevitably, the business led to coffee, delicious coffee, by the way. <laughs> Um, yeah, and yeah. now restaurants, like two of them, one yeah. wouldn't be enough at all. <laughs> well, I, I think, um, I suppose what we wanted, um, and, and we've been working with uh, a local restaurateur to, to, for the past 18 months to, to develop this idea. Um, we wanted to showcase the produce and that we were growing and local produce in the best possible way. Um and by by having this kind of dual offering, I think it'll it'll allow it'll allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, so, you're hoping for a closed loop operation. Explain. Co- correct. Yeah. So I guess we don't want to just be involved in you know just the production side of things. So you know when when we 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 tend to forget that the food is produced, it's cooked, and uh, a lot of people then it's uh, you know a huge percentage of what we we consume or what what's in our fridges goes into the bin and unfortunately goes into landfill nowadays um and we're so we're trying to make sure that everything that goes through cork rooftop farm that's compostable that can will be able to bring it back out to the farm, compost it, put it back out on our beds to help grow more food to come back into the restaurant to keep the the whole nutrient cycle f- flowing and keep it all in the same loop so that there's nothing that's going back into landfill uh, unnecessarily that we're keeping all, all that important stuff uh, available to us because I think that's been a, that's a big area of what we want is to to show a sustainable side to, to the business, you know? You're... You are harvesting the rainwater, you're putting in solar panels and you're going to use the heat from the kitchens to help the crops grow. Explain that one to me. Yeah, so I suppose if anybody who has ever worked in a a commercial kitchen before, they'll know it's it's a pretty hot and humid place. Um, and yeah, so we're going to use that heat uh, through clever... Um, heat circulation system to to pump into our greenhouses on the rooftop 
um, and 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 you utilize that to to grow crops. Um, so it'll be it won't just be vented out into the into the fresh air. It'll, it'll be getting used again. Uh, pure, you know, it'll be filtered and put into our our tunnels where where it'll be held to grow crops that again will come back into the go into the, either our, our farm shop or, or end up on plates for for customers in the in in, in the restaurants. Mm. Will it be um, all vegetarian or will you bring meat in? There will be meat. No, we we we, we don't have a, a, a vegetarian ethos. Although you, that's, you can't that's grow meat on the roof, so where's that going to come from? No, yeah. Well, we're going to source everything locally. Uh, the, again, the the the, the restaurant that we've been working with already has a very strong ethos in this regard, and yeah, we want to showcase the best of what what local cork farmers have to offer, I guess, and in that regard, in, in both uh, in animals and, and in fish, and, and uh, try and give a, a really uh, amazing showcase of what, what cork has to offer in that regard, you know? Fantastic. Absolutely. So when are you hoping to open? Um, well, we've started work already, so the, 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 the I suppose we've been, we've been at it already, so we're hoping that by the end of the summer we could be, we could be open, so maybe late august early september as a tentative tentative deadline um so but it, it, we are working with a, a fairly old building and as mm. many you know they they can throw up uh, unexpected surprises so we're, mm. we're pragmatic about it at the same time but we want to get that we'd, we'd love to be open before the end of summer i think it'd be great to be able to to experience what the bounty that that we we have at, at especially at that time of year coming out of the market gardens and it's it's a yeah it is a great time of the year to to uh, to to showcase that, you know. Did, did you ever go back to the flowers? Oh yeah, I I believe it. I'm coming back now this morning from doing deliveries as we speak. So I'm still at it, hard at it uh, all the time. I, I try and uh, it's a bit of a juggling act sometimes, but no, that's still that's still going full time. Um, I, I have an amazing team there that give me huge support. So um, that that allows me the freedom to work between both. Um, and uh, yeah, only for them might be last. It's it's so, when you started and and Ty started putting these seeds into pots and the pots out in the roof and clearing the detrit the detritus off the roof as you obviously had to do to set. Did you ever think that you'd be sitting here talking about two restaurants? <laughs> no, I mean, as I said, like when I remember vividly, I think it was in we we started it in March of that year, and I think in about May, I remember having a little barbecue up on the roof with some of the first crops that we've grown and um, thinking, gee, because that's, that's brilliant. Now we've been able to have a, a meal out and everything we've grown is is going into the meal. And that I think it's that kind of experience to be able to give that now to people will be will be unbelievable, you know, that, to have that mm. farm to fork experience right in the middle of the city yeah. Um, yeah, will be can, quite unique. You can you know? hardly, you can hardly get fresher like that. <laughs> you really can't. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, I, some. I mean, a, a lot of the produce will literally be travelling. You know, a, a matter down the of stairs. yards to come yeah. to the place. Yeah, <laughs> not even down the stairs, just across the roof. So, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. So it'll be. Uh, they'll literally be able to see the farm farming. They'll be able to see into the tunnels where the stuff is growing. They'll be able to see the pot, the, the raised beds where 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 produce is grown from their table. Table side, so it'll be uh, yeah. I think it'll be a, a hugely uh, unique experience well, in Cork City. I think it'll be a tourist attraction because if you go anywhere in the world, Brian, and you saw something like this on your holidays, you'd come back raving about it. 
Now we're going to have it downtown. I think, yeah, I think it's fantastic. I think it's wonderful. Congratulations to yourself and Ty and the crew at the Cork Rooftop Farm, opening not one, but two restaurants before the end of the year, ideally before the end of the summer. There's great stuff happening around town. There really is. Stay with food. Um, I come back to that story that I started with this morning. So we had the milk went down at the weekend, went down in price. Uh, four of the main supermarkets, was it Dunn's and Aldi and Lidl and Tesco have all, I think Super Value have done the same, have all cut the price of their milk. Now butter is going to start coming down. Everybody is going to welcome this. They are like, I mean eggs next, presumably, hopefully. Bread after that. The ordinary things that ordinary people need for their ordinary larders. Prices starting to come down and not before time. The farmers aren't happy, though. They are looking for the establishment of a food regulator, said the Irish Farmers Association. And the ICMSA, another farmers group, say this is the obvious targeting of indigenous food products produced to the highest standards, now facing production costs higher than the price they will receive. In other words, the farmers are not at all happy with the fact that the price of your milk and butter is coming down in the supermarket. And you can see their business argument, I suppose. But what about the argument of the average householder whose groceries have gone up? PJ, I heard you talking about how the farmers are complaining about reductions in milk and butter prices and that they're essentials. Well, absolutely, they are essentials. And if you want to guarantee that these products will continue to be available, you do your best to support the farmers. Currently, farmers are leaving the industry at an alarming rate. What they're being paid for milk is a pittance compared to what's being charged. Farmers can't currently sustain the level of costs being inflicted on them. Stop vilifying farmers and go after those that are making massive profits in the supermarkets. I'm not vilifying farmers at all. I appreciate that farmers have it tough. I do. I absolutely do. Um, I've talked to enough of them and enough of their supporting bodies and governing bodies. I, I appreciate that. But also, the farmers must appreciate that the average householder is struggling with the cost of groceries. And when they see things like bread and butter, butter and milk, cheese, bread, eggs, when they see those starting to come down, the only thing they're going to do and the only way they're going to feel is happy about it. That's just a fact of life. I appreciate the farmers and where they're coming from. But you've got to take the householder into account here. They're going to be happy with this. Cork's 96FM is the official media partner of Cove Ramblers FC. This Friday night, Cove Ramblers take on Finn Harps at St. Coleman's Park. Kickoff is 7.45pm. The Street Fleet will be there supporting the team. So bring the family for a great night of football and fun. Tickets, see coveramblers.ie. With Cork's 96FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 0833 Cork and Tip on Saturday and presumably any other match as well. I'm having chemo, he says. 
and I can't go to matches at the moment and I'd really love the opportunity to watch the match but I don't want to be paying extra for it. See, the original of this GAA Gold thing, we're looking into it this morning, it was set up originally with a very good idea in mind and that was that if you're living in the UK or USA or Australia or China or anywhere across the EU or wherever you are in the world, Brazil, you name it, that you could go on the RTE website or the GAA Go website and watch the match and pay a fee outside of the country. We don't have a problem with that. But I do have a problem with paying 12 quid to watch Cork and Tip in my front room in Douglas. I have a problem with it. I think a lot of people have a problem with that. Uh, people like Tony, for example. Uh, I mean, the laugh of it was a couple of years ago when GAA gave some games to Sky, people nearly lost the rag altogether about having to pay Sky for a few matches. Now, it's back from Sky. They don't have any anything any, anymore. And now we're paying for it through RT and the GAA. Uh, it is what it is, I suppose. 0818969696. Your thoughts are welcome. It's a year, Martin. A full year, Martin Leahy, since you started going to the Doyle and singing your song. Good morning. Good morning, TJ. How are you doing? Good yeah, a full year. Year today. Yeah. A year today, yeah. I, I didn't start out with any plan. I was just kind of going from week to week. But um, yeah, all of a sudden it's a year. Yeah. So it's the same routine, is it? You go up on the bus or the train? How do you get up? I'm on the bus at the moment, so I get to 9 o'clock up, I'm up for 12, I do the protest between 1 and 2, and I'm back on the 3 o'clock and I'm back for 6. Okay. And, mm. and what what spurs you on to keep going? I suppose it's like, um, it feels, it always feels worthwhile and you you feel very helpless when you're just reading these statistics and these new records that are being broken all the time with the new figures that are coming out. So feels like I can do something and this is what I can do and I do feel it's having an impact you know so you have people come to visit you regularly I think yeah I have people um, come um, come up with me and then I have uh, people come along as well and um, to the protest and you know people that are experiencing homelessness that are experiencing homelessness on different levels and they come along and tell me their stories and stuff yeah have any of your, have any of the ministers, I mean, any of the government side, I, I assume the opposition have been to see you, um, but have any government people come and talked to you? Yeah, loads of opposition has engaged with me. Um, nobody from, from government, no, which is uh, pretty disappointing, you know, if you kind of look back over the year. But, um, yeah, lots of people from opposition have been very supportive, of course. But no government, not even any of your local government TDs have come or local government senators have come to say, what no. brings you up? No? No, um, just all opposition people, um, uh, Richard Boyd Barrett, Owner Bryn, Thomas Gould, Mick Barry, Holly Cairns, people like that. Well, there's a couple, of, there's a couple of Cork TDs in there, so so they have they have come up, okay. Well, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your own situation, the last time we talked, was very precarious in itself. How's that going yeah. for you? Well, it's still kind of more or less the same. It's a kind of an eviction notice looming, so I'm expecting it soon. But, um, yeah. Um, when are you likely to have to leave? Um, it, it will be about six months from the notice, so I'm expecting the notice soon. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, as, as I was saying to that, then I won't be banging down the door looking for us. So, you know, no, uh, no, Whenever no. it arrives. Yeah, yeah, and you know the advice that you get then from everyone is when it does arrive, 
make sure yeah. that you know, go and see someone who knows about these things. Maybe you do yourself check that it's completely in order because if it's not, they'd have to write, issue it again. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. The clock, and the clock will start. Do you do you worry about it, Barton? Do you lose sleep about it a bit? I do, and it kind of it kind of. Um, no. Activism and stuff. It's um, it, it's kind of come home to me that you're kind of all, as a renter with no security or tenure. You're always in that kind of precarious position where you're you're never really stable. You don't have any security. So that's that's part of the problem with, with the rental market in this country is that you can't really ever consider it your home. And it doesn't actually have to be like that when you look at some other European countries. Yeah. You can have security of tenure, and that could be your home for your life. Or you I mean, can I, get a lifetime lease or a 25 or 30 year lease on a place overseas. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I myself wouldn't, I'd be fine and happy with um, renting, you know, um, for if there was some security and if I could um, view it as my home. So it affects, yeah, not, not having that security, yeah, it does affect every part of your, your kind of um, your existence on the planet, you know, which is a shame because. We're here for a relatively short time, and for it to be taken up with this kind of monstrous feeling, this monstrous kind of um, looming housing. Yeah. Um, what, what, what age are you now, Martin? 47. 47. Yeah. You're in the prime of life, young man, and yeah. you should be out able to enjoy yourself. Yeah. And enjoy that, <laughs> rather than be losing sleep and going up and down on the bus on a Thursday to make your point valid that it is. You shouldn't yeah. have to do this. Yeah, absolutely. When you, I suppose, as I was just saying, when you realise that it doesn't actually have to be this way, um, we've all we've we've always kind of accepted it. I, as a renter, I've always accepted that. Oh well, I'll have to move on at some stage, or the rent might go up, or the person might sell the property, and I'll have to get out and can't basically can't even put a nail in the wall. So you, you can't really settle and get on with your life, you know. And yeah. um, in other countries, accommodation, housing is just a cost. Um, it's not this kind of looming monster where you're basically from the moment you leave school, you're going, how am I going to get a house? Will I be okay? Um, yeah. Will I be okay renting? How am I going to get ever get a mortgage? Um, it doesn't have to be so monstrous, you know? Yeah. No. Martin, thank you and continued success with your weekly trips to Dublin. Let's hope that some government TD will eventually come and, and talk to him. Martin Leahy, he's been going up a year today. He started going up with his song and his protest outside uh, the the Doyle and he's on the that's why the line wasn't the best in the business because he's on the bus as we speak join the conversation text or whatsapp 083-396-9696 this is the opinion line with PJ Coogan do you remember the robot trees we kind of take them now for granted we walk past them and look at that blasted yoke look at it look at it sitting there and people come and say, what's that? <laughs> you don't want to know, kind of thing. Do you remember during COVID when the money was being spent on them? We heard about the story. And, like, could I have some real trees on Patrick Street rather than these sort of robot things? And the argument for was made and the argument against was made. Now they've been labelled a colossal waste of energy and water. Uh, by one of the uh, leading sustainability campaigners in the city, someone we've spoken to before, uh, Jude Sherry. These things cost, Jude, about 380000 to install and get them going. And you say that they're actually using more energy than they were ever designed to save. 
Morning to you. Hi, PJ. Hi. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. You'd say they're very environmentally damaging. Yeah, on both on the operational level, so the amount of energy that they use. They use nearly 5,000 kilowatts an hour of energy over over the 21 months they've been installed. And that's about 1.7 tonnes of carbon they've emitted based on Irish energy systems. So that alone shows that they're, they're emitting more carbon than a t- even a real tree would. Right. And then and their then, water use? Yeah, so their water use, um, the original FOI they put out on water use said that they were using 1 million litres. Now, they've, I, I've heard that the um, Cork City Council have said that's a, that was a typo mistake, that they're using 210 kilo, um, or 212,000 litres of water, which is still a huge amount. And it's actually double what an average household uses. And then on the energy level, the energy level is equivalent to what a treat four-bedroom detached house might use in a full year as well. What? So it's a, yeah, it's a colossal amount of energy. It's it's double an average home's water use, and a a, a large uh, detached house energy use for a year. Remind me again what people said was the selling point. What did they tell us was the selling point of these things? So the idea behind them is that they use moss. Um, to clean out fine dust particles. Um, we were told at the start they might also take out nitrogen oxides, but I think they're now saying they don't work for that. Um, so the idea is that they take out small dust particles out of the air, and those smart dust, it's good. We, need to, we need to make sure we don't have uh, pollutants in the air because they're toxic to us, and they lead to long-term damage. It's estimated that it, it causes about 1,300 deaths a year from uh, air pollution in Ireland. So it's a, it is a colossal issue we've got, especially in our cities. But cleaning the air after you've released the pollutants, some say it's like trying to heat your home with the roof off it, um, especially on big, wide cities like uh, and streets like Patrick Street, is that you're, you're trying to clean up after you've released it. So prevention is really better than the cure. So it, if they actually enforce the existing uh, car ban on St. Patrick Street, they would achieve a lot more than these uh, robot trees would. Mm-hmm. At the same time as these robot trees are there and using all this energy that you've outlined to us, they're about to cut down some actual real trees to pave over Bishop Lucy Park. Yeah, they've actually cut them down, some of them already, um, in Bishop Lucy Park. And around the city in general as well, there's been a lot of trees uh, cut down. So you're you're cutting down viable trees that are absorbing uh, carbon, but trees go beyond just the carbon side of it as well. Tree, real trees offer us many mental health benefits. They offer homes for birds so we can have the sound of birds in our cities and something that we're really lacking in Cork City. They offer wider biodiversity. They offer shade in the in the summer and windbreakers. Um, but they're also a flood relief for the city. So because Cork is built on a marsh, uh, you need to let the water drain into the into the soil. Mm-hmm. And so when you concrete, what they're doing in Bishop Lucy Park is they're going to concrete over a lot of the grass area. And that means that the water will have nowhere to go. So it will contribute to more flooding in the city. So we really need to open up our city uh, spaces to let the let and use trees then to they help absorb a lot of that water. So they reduce I, I, the flood risk. I'm sure the people who are doing the project at Bishop Lucy Park would say to you, well, we are putting in drainage for that precise reason. 
But that drainage has to go somewhere. It has to go our drainage system. If you ever walk around Cork when there's a high tide, the water comes up into the drainage system and you could be standing on Oliver Plunkett Street and the water's coming up through the drainage. It's not coming over the walls in the... Uh, it's very rarely, it mostly comes up through the drainage. So sure. if the drains are already full and because it's a marsh, you need to manage the water levels of the soil a lot differently than you do of normal uh, other cities that aren't built on marshes. They take a, a, a different approach to them. Yeah. So you believe that these robot trees were in fact, Jude... A colossal waste of taxpayers' money. I think they're a colossal waste of taxpayer money. They're a colossal waste of materials. So they're, they're dead trees that have been chopped down to make them. I think that's a colossal waste. I think the electronics in them are also a colossal waste. So it's it's not just the operation on the full life cycle of the... It's where all those materials come from, the environmental impacts associated with them. Every material has a carbon footprint associated with it. So all that has, has issues as well as in the electronics industry. There's a lot of issues around toxicity of uh, raw material extraction and exploitation in the supply chain. Mm. And then also... Like the the TV screens on them will estimate in how many five, six, seven years will they survive? The the lifespan of them we don't fully know. And when what happens if they stop working? If you look at inside them, the moss always looks pretty dead inside. So I'm not too sure how effective they are or how often that moss is replaced. So what do we do with them when they when they're broken or if they don't work anymore mm. or if we turn them off? then we have to deal with all that waste as well. Now, people are sitting around them, which shows the need for seated places to sit. Places around real trees might be nicer, wouldn't it? I would definitely. I think if we took that money, 308 is too late now, but if we had taken that money, we would have got a lot more trees and a lot more seats. But it, on a positive note, it definitely shows, as you say, the need for seating in the city. There are always people sitting on them, which is great to see. Yeah. All right, leave it there. Jude, thank you, Jude Sherry of Derelict Ireland and the Anish Agency. We talked about the robot trees when they were going up and the amount of money being spent on them and why we could, could we not just actually have some real trees would be kind of nice rather than these big yokes with televisions in them. And there's the proof. They're using as much energy as a family home. 0818 96 96 96. Coming back to the cost of living. Sandra, just one minute I'll be with you. I want to go through some prices here. Uh, we talk then. Um, according to the Irish Independent today, Charlie Weston's done a, a panel on the price of your average sort of staple goods. Like a half dozen eggs is 36 cents dearer than it was this time last year. A pound of butter is 68 cents dearer. A loaf of bread, 25. Simple things like tea bags, 18 cents dearer. Cheese, Irish cheese. Okay, Irish cheese, our very own cheese, is 161 a kilo dearer than it was this time last year. Full fat milk, 45 cents per two litre tub dearer than it was this time last year. So it's all gone up and we want to see it coming down. People will welcome that. And I was talking earlier on about how the farmers are now complaining. And it's similarly independent. In the independent, there's another piece uh, where Margaret Donnelly writes, consumers have every right to be delighted with the recent price drop. Every little helps, as they say. But it's a fool's paradise in many ways to celebrate cheap food. 
That's her article on the Irish Independent. Now, Sandra, what would you like to say about this whole thing? Morning. Hi, PJ. Um, no, I'm not a farmer by any means, but um, when you're talking about the farmers bringing down the prices, um, basically is, I think it's the government are the ones that should be bringing down the prices and it's the farmers should be going up because at the end of the day, what it costs a farmer, we'd say, just for a litre of milk. I'm just giving that as an example. Sure. How much do they get for a litre of milk? Sure. Um, when that's broken down, it's actually the government is making more money out of that litre of milk than the farmer. Yeah. But when you look at what did the farmer have to do to make that litre of milk? He used to graze his cows. He brings them in. He brings them out into the milking parlour. It's all con- time-consuming. They have to fertilise land, which is fertiliser at the moment is like gold dust. Even farmers are putting up CCTV to protect fertiliser. It's something like triple the price it was this time last year. Or yeah, yeah. Pardon? It's something like triple the price it was. Exactly. Like So when you break down what the farmer has to pay out just for milk, and we just say milk alone, between you know his labour, his own time consum- consumption into the work, what he has to put into the land, he has fertiliser and whatever else. Um, taking the cows in and out. He has, he has electricity, obviously, for his milking parlour. He has fuel for his tractors. He has to buy the machinery, the repairs of machinery. And it would be the same as maybe a shopkeeper that has to pay tax, insurance, everything on their business, water rates, which the rates are gone now, as we know. But, you know, it's all... They still have to pay all that. Mm. And for what they're getting for that litre of milk that they've worked so hard for... They're still getting nothing back, but the government mm. is getting the higher percentage from that litre of milk, if you understand. I do, I do. It takes, its, it takes so, its cut, yeah. Um, but, like, it's the farmers, like, really, their, their prices, they should be left alone, I think. And I think it's the government should be dropping. Yeah. It should be taken from the government, not yeah. the farmer, because at the end of the day, we need our farmers. We need our farmers for our meat and our, you know, our dairy products. Like, there is a so valid if, question that the IFA is raising here. Uh, where it says, right, okay, Tesco putting down, and Lidl and Aldi putting down the cost of milk by 10 cents for a two-litre tub of it. And that's all very fine for the consumer, and the consumer will welcome that. But where's that 10 cents going to come from? That's what the farmers are asking. Is it going to come from our already meagre cut? And that's a fair argument. Yeah, well, I personally think it should be coming from the government, because at the end of the day, they're taking enough taxes and... The more they're taking from the farmers at the end of the day, they're not going to want to be farmers anymore. It, the farmers are going to be dis- distinctive yeah. because, um, they, 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 you know, children of farmers don't even want to go into the farming That's business true. anymore. And true. like we see it there at the moment, our turf, we can't, we don't, we're not allowed to burn our own turf. We have to get it brought in from Lithuania and different countries. You know, it's it's gone ridiculous that... It's we should be saving what we have, yeah. saving our own, you know. Why mm. why import what we have? We've a fantastic country, we've fantastic land. Mm. You well, know, if you, if you look at if you look at sugar, right, the price of anything with sugar in it, Sandra, has gone through the roof in the last twelve months. Biscuits are now an obscene price. And I know they're a luxury item, but they're an obscene price. We had a thriving sugar industry here. And we shut it down. And now we buy stuff that we used to make up the road. That always gets on my goat. 
Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. It's the same with myself. As I said, the beet factory, um, we have now the turf. We have a great industry in the turf. What are, what are they going to do with the turf now? Are they going to be left in the bogs to rot? Because what will probably happen for future, people know the turf is there. Our fuel has gone so expensive. People are going to go up and be stealing from the bogs. Do you think you so? Know, it, look, I mean, if people can't afford it and the cost of living is going up. What mm. You know, people are going to just, it's to survive. People are only going to try to survive yeah. at the end of the day. Like, because, you know, if you can't afford to keep yourself warm, you'll go out and cut a tree down and, you know, throw it into your fire or, you know. Well, with, with regard to the turf, I remember that argument last you year know? and Eamon Ryan saying, oh, the green agenda, we have to stop burning turf. It's it's dangerous and all that. And we, we appreciate it's not the cleanest fuel in it's, the world, but but like, it keeps your house warm. You know, like, I've got it, don't bring me down in, on the road with Eamon Ryan because, you know, he he's kind of contradicting himself saying we're all supposed to be green but yet he can get on an, an aeroplane you know what I mean or, <laughs> so I'm not even going to go down that oh, road now with you Eamon know what Ryan. Sandra you're singing off my hymn shit and I said this when we were when we were reading out the list of where they were all going for St. Patrick's Day <laughs> he went to China and I was saying that's a long cycle I would have said to my and you know what my, my missus said the very same thing to me you know what if he's being authentic about this green agenda of his why didn't he do that meeting on Zoom well, I don't think now he minds going to China because he probably slept the whole way over. <laughs> Go on, we leave it there. Sandra, thank you. 0818 96 96 96. A lot of people live alone. I didn't know this. Uh, a lot of people live alone and Tesco or Lidl haven't reduced the price of the smaller containers of milk or butter at all. It's unfair. I've tried getting the 2 litre or 3 litre of milk or the larger butter but the milk, anyway, seems to just go off in the fridge. I'm not alone in this. I asked my friends what I was doing wrong, and they all say the same thing, that these products don't seem to last once they're open. Oh, I don't ever buy the, the, the big drums of milk. I, we always buy the litres. We buy the, the, the Tetra Pack. The, it's, well, we, we're lactose-free family, but we buy the, the Tetra Pack, the one litre. If occasionally all you can get is the two litre, you, you will find it's it's going to turn. Uh, even in a family with three hungry adults in it, like we are, or four when my daughter comes over. Um, yeah, you're right. But I didn't know that. So if the if the two litre is coming down by 10 cents, it, it doesn't automatically follow that the one litre is coming down by five. Are we right with that? Is that what, that, is that what you're saying, caller? Thank you. 0818 96 96. There's not a week goes by here that we don't send a question or two to City Hall in search of an answer on any kind of local issue, be it traffic, be it houses, be it housing needs, be it anything like that, be it the the turning over of public housing. We never, we, we send, week after week, we send questions in. So I'm going to be joined live in about three minutes by the woman who can answer, hopefully, some of those questions. Chief Executive Anne Doherty joins me live in studio in a couple of minutes. 0818 96 96 96. Snap the app on Cork's 96 FM. Can I get a woohoo from you because you are now 500 euro richer? Woohoo! <laughs> Thanks so much. I'm true, Diane. You are now 500 Woo! euro richer. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. You've won it. 500 euro is yours. 
Congratulations to all our winners. Stay listening for our next big way to win. Big way to win. Only on Cork's 96 FM. Joined live in studio by Anne Doherty, uh, Cork City Chief Executive. First of all, and welcome. It's 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 been a while, indeed, PJ. How, how long you. have you been in the the job now? Um, just over eight years. Right. Nice. Yeah. So thank you for having me, and good morning to all your listeners. It's great to be here with you. Good to speak to you again. There's not a morning goes by, and certainly there won't be two mornings in a row go by that we don't have some complaint here about traffic flow, and it all kind of started with the change of the rule on Christie Ring Bridge. Everything seems to pile up so quickly on any given morning when anything goes wrong are you doing the best you can are things going as well as they could be realistically I suppose PJ when you start talking about this you have to speak about it in a context so we're we have a city today and we have a city that we're planning for so we know that Cork is projected to be the fastest growing city in the country over the next 20 years so that means we have to adapt new new ways of managing traffic in the city. What we were doing in the past is not going to be deliverable in the future. So diversion of traffic through the city centre and the creation of bus corridors, better spaces for people to walk and to cycle are options that are imperative for a city to function. Anywhere we go in the world, all of us, when we visit, we enjoy the fact that there's really good public space that we can walk on, Mm. that people can have the choice to cycle and we enjoy public transport. So the changes on that traffic flow on Christie Ring Bridge are, are just one of a, a whole range of changes that are across the city. And as you know, we've already made changes on the quays. Um, we've already done the works on both the north and the uh, both the north and the south side of, of the quays. And also in relation to Christie Ring Bridge, it is about very much about giving the bus the opportunity to turn right as a priority. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, and, and I'm not, I'm a driver myself, and I'm not suggesting that I'm always the best uh, at living with the rules. None of us are. But part of the problem in the mornings is that people try to take an illegal right turn and I appreciate that if people always went a certain way Mm. so we we all have to adapt and change but it is about creating the conditions that our bus service can work Mm. better. Taxi drivers gave out stink at being included in the general driving public there because they wanted to be able to use that right turn and they couldn't do that. Well, it's a bus priority and that's that's what it is. Um, I think as well that if we don't, okay, if our city changes to the to the rate that we, we can see that's going to happen, we've, as you said yourself before we came on air, you're driving into the city since 1994 and the yeah. changes you've seen are absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Not all great now. But no. not- it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Not bad either. Not all bad either, yeah. And I think that we have to learn and we have to adapt and changes that might have been made in in the past may have to be adjusted in the future. And that's all part of the learning. But I think if we don't increase and improve the reliability and the regularity of the bus service, we will continue to be snared up by cars. And people don't have choice. And I think all of us now are very, very concerned and and I suppose interested in our health and well-being. All Ah, of us as people. Well, on the bus, on on the buses then, there's the thing... And I've said this before, I'm privileged. I live 50 yards from two magnificent bus services. I'm so lucky. And in the summertime, I love to come in and walk across town or to work. I don't see that privilege for other people. There's there, The bus services are not as good everywhere as they hmm. should be. We need more intensive bus services. Do we need them before people are going to be encouraged to... Like, you need... To, is there a kind of a cart before the horse? We're pushing the car out of the city, but the buses aren't there to replace them. I, I, I hear what you're saying, PJ, but I suppose for the buses to work, we have to make space for the buses because nobody's going to get out of their car and get into a bus to sit in the same line of traffic as they mm. set in, in their car. So the importance of developing the priority bus corridors, and you're aware of Bus Connects, which yeah. is a funded project by the NTA, massive investment in Cork, like we should be just grabbing it and running with it, which we are, which is to create the conditions that the buses can work free flow through the city. So then the frequency can be improved. The number of buses will be improved because people will convert to the buses. So it Mm. it is, I hear what you're saying about the chicken and the egg a little bit, but we have to create the space for buses. But Mm. also, I think going back to the, uh, how I suppose COVID taught us a lot, didn't it, as as, as people, about the importance of uh, being able to get out and about, having choice. So the importance of having walking facilities that are safe, having cycling facilities Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. people can choose to use. Um, I cycled down to, uh, as you know, Marie, um, Marina the other day, a place, as you know, that, uh, you know, was hard to deliver in terms That's of lovely. changing. It's it's life changing, isn't it? Yeah. Can you imagine if I tomorrow and the team said we're going to reverse what's happened in the marina? That's you, yeah. and, and you get yeah. no argument. Yeah. From so, me there. so I suppose why I'm using that as an example is it are is you, about you're suggesting here that it really is a case of we're trying to make kilometres when we have to break eggs. Is that what you're saying to people? Bear with us. Well, I do think that yes, there is a piece about can we all work together while we try and improve our city for everybody: the people who live in it, the people who come to it for schools, mm. for college, the people who come here for work, the people who come to visit. So yes, we do all need to work together, mm. and yes, there will be a bit of patience required. Mm while the changes are made. That's very but frustrating though if you're, and Wayne Hilton who does our morning traffic reports here from the sky has identified this necklace of pinch points, mm. about six of them, and if anything goes wrong, we're goosed for an hour 
I mean, will that end? Can you tell people, and Artie, that will end? Well, it will. I think that one of the things, the solution is not more cars. That's not the solution for our city. We can't absorb that growth in population mm. and assume that everybody is going to be the, in the a car. That are out, the, the ones that are already there could move more freely. Yes, and they'll move more freely if we increase people's use of buses. So there is a piece about us all having to change. Um, I've to change, you've to change mm. in terms of where we can. Now, a couple, maybe 10 years ago, I probably would have driven up here. I walked this morning. So mm. there are life changes that we now all make choices about. Why did I walk? Because it's pleasant to walk in the city. It was very safe. I had decent footpaths to walk mm. in. And also, I got my exercise it's in. A nice, so, and it's a nice morning. Which, yeah, which, but if which it was helps. raining, I would have walked too, because I have a coat with a hood, or I might use my umbrella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Move on to other things. Uh, the um, dereliction. Um, we have so much dereliction. It's been called a derelict site's crisis and I ain't active enough on it. Do we need less carrot and more stick to deal with the number of derelict empty places around the place? Yeah, we could spend a day talking about this, PJ. We can give it a few minutes anyway. <laughs> Go ahead. It's, um, I mean, dereliction is a really, really clunk- complex issue. Um, and I'm not trying to uh, pretend that um, it's, it's, it's something that we can fix immediately because you can't. There are many and I suppose there's commercial and there's private and mm. you know there, there are sorry, there's commercial and residential and they are very very different but I suppose one of the things we've learned in our intervention and I suppose just going back to, to I suppose our current council adopted a policy in our election in 2019 when they were first elected so it's not as if we've just all woken up and decided there is a problem it's something that we've been working on meticulously over the last number of years I suppose a couple of points the first one is that not all derelict products, not all derelict um, buildings or yeah. properties are vacant and not all vacant properties are derelict and sometimes that does get mm. mixed up but one of the things I think that we sometimes forget is that uh, be, be, behind every derelict building there's a story oh yeah yeah there are people there are families there are businesses in distress and when you get dig into it and start to work with people around mm. this that's when you discover but if someone deliberately leaves and I think that's this is what we're talking about if someone deliberately leaves a property to rot to the point where there's a tree growing up the middle of it. Surely we need to be able to say to them as a, as a local authority, use it or lose it. Yeah, and we are. And I think as well, we're, we're assuming that that property with the tree was done by neglect. Sometimes individuals don't have the financial means. Sometimes, and we've encouraged a lot of mental health issues, especially in individual uh, properties. Sometimes, sometimes they're just letting it rot until the value goes up. Of the land under it. I, I, I mean, that's that's a hypothesis, PJ. I can't substantiate or deny that. But I do think our experience is, is that when we work with people, a lot of people are terrified of engaging with any kind of a government agency. They're terrified. A lot of the people involved in this are elderly and we do need to uh, support them. But I think we do work with people. First and foremost, we have to identify who owns the property. That's not always easy. 
we then have to work with them and then when we work with them we have to we're trying to encourage them to remove their dereliction if there's dereliction or and we have and, and you know as we have we have absolutely taken properties over using the compulsory purchase process mm. and again there's lots Which of calls. It's a slow and an arduous process. It is, it is yeah and I suppose. Speed it up? Well I suppose that, that's a legislative question and, and that's not me being flippant yeah. but yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. we work within the rules that are, are available to us. Like if you, if you call, if I have a derelict property and you come to me and you express your concerns and you say do something with it, ah grand will you? Um, like how long is it then before you well, tell Well we would them? work with you and then What we does would that make, mean? Well, we would work with you to see where there um, financial supports available to you to help you to address the dereliction of your property. There are lots of different schemes. Uh, we would then obviously assess if you weren't doing that, we'd give you, uh, uh, I suppose, a shot across the bow in terms of if you don't do it, we will move into the process. But obviously, CPO can be challenged. And in some cases, we've lost um, with, on board, with the board uh, the CPO mm. process. But I suppose what's important is, um, uh, from our perspective, uh, We've about 450 social homes that have been built in the city in the last number of years, which has been taking areas out of dereliction. So, Mm. for example, out in Hawks Road, which is the most recent affordable scheme in the city, Mm. that was a derelict um, site and derelict property. So, you know, a lot of the... I think people get frustrated at the length of time that these things take. And and there's a perception that internationally by international comparison, we're very slow. Well, I suppose we're all frustrated about it, but we all have to live with the rules and the legislation of the land we live in. So there's no point in discussing what's done somewhere else if it's a different legal framework. We have to work within the rules that we have. And that's where we put our energy. So we open cases, we close cases, we add sites, we remove sites from the derelict sites register. From the derelict sites register. I suppose most recently, as you know, uh, government have announced some new schemes that will help in terms of um, Creek Connor has been extended yeah. and, and so we hope that those type of schemes will assist yeah. but I mean in our city um, a lot of the properties are very expensive to remove their dereliction and that can be a barrier some of the properties are involved with um, receivers there's complicated legal agreements behind them so these things, these, all these of these things, things. And, and I know people will say oh they are just excuses but they are actually facts but I think it's really important and to those who are listening this morning is that just that we might all remember that behind every building there's Mm. people. So what you're saying here is that you're asking listeners to to accept that if you choose a building, you know, one, the street is lying idle for a couple of years and the council sees that it needs to move on one, the street, that there's a story behind one, the street. Mm. And until you get to the bottom of that story, you can't cross the threshold really. No, no and sometimes as well I think we have to remember that um, we are and, and I, I won't name the property but for example we have CPO'd a property here in the city um, whereby um, under the derelict sites um, legislation we had to do that without actually being able to see the inside of the building and when we got in there there are far more issues than anyone could ever have imagined mm. and I, again Nobody who's looking from the outside can see that. So they're the types of things we're faced with. I think as well that um, we have to, um, a, a lot of people talk about the levies and why aren't you collecting the levies? Mm. Sometimes... But the levies le- are very small too. They, they are small, yeah. And levies, uh, you know, there is a message in levies saying, if you know, if you don't use your property, you will be exposed yeah. to levies. But the other side of that is sometimes the levies actually inhibit 
bringing it out of dereliction because some of the people we're dealing with do not have the financial means. Mm. Will that be a majority or a minority? Um, it's probably mixed. I suppose most properties are distressed. Mm. Yeah. And if it's an individual, they probably don't have the financial means. If it's on the bigger commercial side, a lot of them are involved in very um, complex mm. disputes around receivers and other such issues as a consequence of what happened 10, 12 years ago. Okay, okay. I, I, know, I know that you're happy to stay with us. And we, we, I'm we, happy we, to we, stay we may, all we may, day. <laughs> we may go, go after news yeah. for some more questions. But here, for example, if you take, uh, I spoke recently with the owner of Household Linens who's closing up 20 units on Albrunk Street empty. Like, will they, will they go into dereliction? Um, I think any city, I suppose there's one thing, there's a couple of things, PJ, and uh, retail's changing very, very significantly. We've all seen that. Um, there's the whole online disruption. There's the change in relation to international um, houses coming in. But I suppose one of the things we should remember is that Cork has a huge network of, ind- of independent traders and Household Linen was a great asset. I spent many a bob in there myself, mm. uh, but, and I'm very sorry to see them go. Um, but I think that we see um, new things happening in the city. So, for example, if I look at Dune came into the city recently, uh, North Face have come in, um, um, Mango are coming but into none the of old them, Quills. None of them are traditional family no, 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 household no, no. businesses, no, no, which I'm is just, what the city was built on. Yeah, and I, I'm just looking at mm. some of them as the ones that are coming in. I do believe that the... Um, that the traditional family businesses are still opening up. Some of them are in coffee shops and other like beauty salons, etc. It's not the traditional retail that we've we've enjoyed. But I suppose the other thing for all of us is if we want to have vibrant retail in the city, we have to support it. Mm. We have to come in and spend our hard-earned cash in those independent stores. Um, in Which order brings for them us back to-, to the traffic issue because people don't want to sit in traffic when they're trying to come in and do a bit of shopping. Well, I think that we've, um, and as a response to COVID, but also as a response to what people wanted, we've pedestrianised a significant amount of the city centre. Mm. Uh, as you know, during COVID, we... Would there six, be more? Um, I think there will be in the future because I think that's what people will want. So if you go down Oliver Plunkett Street, now and I'm sure you've been down there yourself Mm -hmm. it's like Christmas Eve on a normal day loads of people out and about, young people, older people. I think that's the vibrancy that mm. the city needs. Yeah, and there's that's a, there's what a very we'll European swing to, say, um, Princess Street now and Mar- where the, t- the, 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 the outdoor mm. dining took yeah. over. And I think people did, did welcome that, but they don't like going down and seeing empty shop after empty shop after empty shop because well, it takes v- from it. Our vacancy, and we would compare, I don't know if you saw the business post on uh, Sunday, um, there they were, there was an assessment of vacancy in the city. Like, we're are no way in excess of anything that's happening anywhere else on the island of Ireland and actually in many streets we're better. So there is a shift happening right across the mm. world. I suppose the important thing for the city is footfall, uh, people living in the city centre and people mm. visiting the city centre. Mm. And you mentioned there that people don't want to come in because of traffic. I I think that it's, a, I mean, definitely, as you know, you mentioned uh, the 220 yourself, wasn't mm. it? I mean, definitely, every time I see that bus, it's absolutely full, right from mm. Carrigaline all the way to Ballincollig. Mm. So more and more of we that. We need more of those. Absolutely. And that's why we need the priority bus corridor so that the bus works well and we'll all to make that change. But we have support for people to come to the city centre. There's an amazing park and ride on the west side of the city, which is underutilised. Well, one of the reasons it's underutilised, now that you bring it up, 
is it opens at a bonkers time. I mean, I would be quite happy to use it a lot of the time, but I need to be in here. I need to be in here well before seven thirty. Mm. I mean that that park and ride. The first bus should be departing there at six a.m. And, and if no there later. and if there is a demand for that. We will respond if to it. If you build it, they will come. If well, you put yeah, the service on, yeah, people will maybe, take it. Maybe, yeah, and maybe and we need to do that. What happened to the other three parking rides we're supposed to be having since 1974? No, you're right. And if you look at the Bus Connects documentation, it talks about that necklace of parking rides. But we're back again to the same issue. Are you going to park in a park and ride and get on a bus that's caught in the traffic? You won't. So you have to put in the bus corridors mm. so that those buses can work efficiently. But, but we are talking about those parking rides though since since nineteen. Oh, I'm sure. I, I remember, I remember, remember Burn, Burnsy. Yeah. Burnsey and Cloche de Cree Street in 1980, yeah. early 80s telling me about the yeah. land use and, and transportation. And side. now yeah. there is, and do you know what? Cork was really, really well served and predecessors are mine, great people, had huge vision around that mm. land use and published really strong policies that we're actually benefiting from today. But going back to the... Well, to you know, I'm going to have traffic. to pause you there and if you could we're going to have to go and take the news and, and take a break for five or six minutes yeah. and we'll chat some more because I do want to get on to housing yeah. and I want to get on to social housing and allocation of housing and all those things I'm talking to uh, Cork City Chief Executive and Doherty and we've got some more time after the news Cork loves the arts we do too that's why we bring you the arts house every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM hi it's Elmarie join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork there's so much happening fantastic festivals with great events for all ages and we'll tell you all about them the arts house Sunday mornings 8 to 10 with Griffin's potatoes planted picked and produced in Cork Griffin's potatoes the great taste of home Cork. 96 FM. The minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. Yep, we're live in studio with Cork City Chief Executive Ann Doherty to, I, I guess, address Anne some of the things that come in on a week-by-week basis from listeners. We're not here to, to row. We're not here to have a, a barony. We're here to see what might be the, the reasons behind certain things that, that work slowly. Can we move to, to social and affordable housing, social housing in particular? And I know that the city, and should get credit for it, in terms of the building of new houses. First of all, the quality of what you're building is exceptional. I've seen them, I've walked around them, I've been shown the inside. And you're building, you're up to target in terms of what you're due to build or bring on stream. Are the targets too low is the obvious question. Well, I suppose the targets are set um, by national government based on an assessment of need. Um, so I... That's that's how the, they are set. Um, we have very ambitious targets. I suppose we need... Target isn't a minimum. That would be the first thing I would say. So we would hope to be in a position to exceed on our targets, if at all possible. Yeah, 
So that's, I think, mm-hmm. really, you know, that's that's really important. Um, I suppose we have, since 2019, develop, develop, delivered uh, 2,286 new homes uh, across all types of, the, of delivery streams. Um, and of that, 2,049 were delivered for social homes and 132 for affordable mm-hmm. and 105 cost rental. And how many are on the conveyor now, say, for the next couple of years? In terms of our targets up to the end, of the uh, plan is um, sorry now PJ I'm, off, I'm actually after losing my train on that You're one okay. is 3,000 uh, sorry for the period up to 2022 I've just given you yep. the wider is um God, PJ. I you're don't okay. know if the top okay. of the You have a target. You'll yeah, find I have a target. Yeah, I just but have you, a, a memory block there. You'll, you'll, find, come back no, to you're you'll, find, you'll find it in a minute. Yeah. Let's, but with regard to, okay, so you're producing these houses and then mm. we come to the type, to, to the point of view of allocation. Yes. And I'll bring one example up. It, it may have been allocated by now. I'm, I'm not aware if it mm. has. But a month ago, I spoke about Mandeville yes. Place. Which the, the photo op and was months and months ago and we were told at the time they were only stag listing and a month ago there was nobody in Mandeville Place why does a completed turnkey home take so long to allocate? So Mandeville Place is, uh, was a right sizing scheme so what that means is that people who are existing people in uh, local authority homes uh, that are underoccupied and people are or people who were selling their homes to to uh, a smaller home that's what that scheme was for. So as part of that process obviously people aren't going to make that decision until they see the product finished. You're not going to leave your forever home and move to Mandeville Place without seeing it finished. So that was the first thing. Um, the people then who were moving to Mandeville Place uh, were either releasing existing social homes or they were private people who were selling their homes to the council and then moving to Mandeville Place. Now, like in any of those transactions, you know there has to be conveyancing and mm. all of the things that but need that to happen. But is work not done while the place is being built? Well, I, as I said at the beginning there, is in relation to Mandeville Place, I think it is unreasonable to ask anybody at an age in their life to move from their forever home that they had, where they may have brought up their family, etc., to a new home without actually seeing the finished product. I don't think that you could do that off plans. It's very different for, say, a young couple who are buying off plans in a development. Mm. I think that's very, very different than asking people to make big life-changing decisions to mm. change from their bigger home to this home that suits their needs now. And that was one of the reasons that we can always learn. And we will definitely work with the people who have moved into those homes to are learn. Are they allocated can we, yet? They are in the process of being allocated, yes. Okay. What about other projects that finish and seem to be turnkey and then seem to perceptively lie idle. One would think that the minute you've got the place ready that there's such a housing list out there yeah. that you'd have them allocated within weeks. As, as you know uh, the uh, allocation of homes is worked through uh, our uh, choice based letting systems so we have uh, all our homes that are available for letting go up on choice based lettings and uh, individuals can identify that they wish to be considered for a particular home. Now some homes could have lots of people interested in them so you have to work through who then gets and that do home. New play, do newly constructed places go into the CPL yes, system yes. just as well as everything yes, else? Yes. So it's all done that way. Yeah, because it's fair. It's fair to everybody. Is this? 
Well, I think it is because uh, at the end of the day, as human beings, we need to have choice. So there's no point in the local authority allocating PJ Coogan to live in place A when PJ Coogan's family live in location C. And so that's where choice-based lettings came from, was that individuals could choose where in the city they wished to apply for their uh, long-term home. Okay, okay. With regard to the reallocation, so let me again bring up a, a scenario that we've known for years happens. No one's ever been able to explain why. So I leave my council home. And I've been there for quite some time. I've kept it well. I've been a good tenant. I leave it in good condition. Why does it take so long to reallocate my house? Well, I suppose a bit like dereliction. Behind every house, there was a family, there was a story, there was a condition. And so you can't just look at it all as one process. So some homes that are released might have had the same people in them for 50 or 60 years. Other homes have, might have been more recent. So all of the homes have to be assessed. Some of them may need intervention. And they're the types of things that influence the length of time that a home needs to be kept before by, by it's released. By intervention, you mean me refurbishment? It may need to be I've, refurbished. I've, I've made the point of I've kept my, my home well. And an engineer could examine my home in a day, day and a half, two days and decide this home is perfectly safe to be lived in, then why can't it be relocated that quickly? Well, I suppose every home has to be just assessed because we are um, reletting homes to somebody. So we have duties in relation to ventilation, fire safety, etc. And I appreciate that individuals keep their homes fantastically, but we still have to assess them. Mm. Um, I suppose we do need to... Are you, look obliged, at this- sorry to are you obliged if I leave my home after my 10 years or whatever... Are you obliged to bring that up to environmental standards where you reallocate it or can people get them as is? Do we do as is letting? Well, it would depend on the home. Like we, There are certain standards. We have to bring up electrical standards or boiler standards. Some of them have to be done. Uh, so it will depend on the home. It's not, a, again, one size fits all. But I suppose maybe, again, a little bit of context around mm. the scale here. So we've 10,500 social homes under the management of Cork City Council. And um, as, you, as you said yourself, an awful lot of good things happen in those homes. Um, The council uh, in terms of the percentage of the overall stock that's vacant and under repair at the moment is 283 homes which is 2.7% of the stock. That's voids, isn't it? They're voids. Well, they're under repair, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, The other one then is uh, 64 homes are currently vacant and awaiting tenancy. Now, there may be homes around the city and especially uh, in the Nakhnihini area that um, people have left those homes to make way for their demolition as part of regeneration. Mm. So they, you know, some people look at them and say, oh, why are they not being used? That's part of the program of regeneration. Yeah. Mm. Just you went back there about the the condition of homes. Like we're very clear that, um, you know, we're we're not uh, over-specking or replacing things just for the sake of it. We're very mindful now of sustainability, of making mm-hmm. sure that we're not creating unnecessary waste, that we reuse things. So mm-hmm. some of the things maybe that you've described, I think well, that we, we have a, a very significant shift in still, relation to will that. You, will you still remove my perfectly good kitchen, which no. is only five years old, and throw it into the back of a skip? No, not necessarily, no. Not necessarily? Yeah. Well, we not have to, no. well, I mean, I, I, everything's individual, PJ. I can't sit here and say absolutely, because there may be... 
your perfectly good kitchen. But why would kitchen, it be not? Why well, would a perfectly good kitchen be Well, it's be your assessment out? that it's a very good kitchen. Well, an engineer will tell you yeah, in half an, an hour. Yeah. So, yeah. So if the engineer said there's nothing wrong with that kitchen, of course we won't pull it out. Right. But if there is something wrong with it, we will have to make the remedial action, which will be repair or replace. That's... That's it. But we're very mindful of sustainability. We're very mindful of ensuring that we don't contribute unnecessarily to environmental... Um, so, so if a kitchen or a bathroom is taken out, and we were only talking to co- people a couple of weeks ago that told us they saw it happening to a household. If a kitchen or a bathroom is taken out, it's because an engineer has said take this Absolutely. out. Absolutely. It's assessed. Every home is individual. Right. Okay. Okay, because it, it, it seems to frustrate people. You know? I know, I know, and I and I hear your show and I hear what people are saying, um, but I think, again, it's again about understanding what's going on behind it. Mm. So there's, we're not going to unnecessarily make interventions. We're very conscious of the importance of getting homes back into productive use. Mm. Uh, we are working really, really hard. We've reduced our reletting times and our reletting costs between what's 21... What's the average now? Um, off the top of my head I don't have it with me but we've reduced it by 23% between 21 and 22 both time and cost right. and some of that and there's a national I mean it's all this information is publicly available PJ there's the NOAC report it's called it's the National Oversight uh, yeah. National Oversight and oh God can't remember what ANC means mm. but it's a publicly available report that reports on all local authorities in the country so yeah. you can see there the performance of so every depend, local authority. It depends on the condition in which it was left and, and again I'm I'll stress that one. If a kitchen or a bathroom or flooring was removed, it's because an engineer said. Well, there that. would be a reason based on the assessment of the property why it would be changed. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I suppose okay. the other thing is, PJ, and you know, this is an interesting debate. Maybe we can all have. So we are all trying to improve. Obviously, when we look at our climate challenge as a city, uh, we've done a baseline survey with the help of our um, colleagues in UCC, which demonstrates where our emissions are coming from. So our emissions in our city are coming from two places mainly. They're coming from transport. Mm. and they're coming from homes. So we are trying to bring all the homes in the city up to a standard. Now, we have a stock of 10,500. Mm-hmm. That's not something you can do overnight. So sometimes with the older homes, we do actually try and bring them up to environmental standards. But obviously, we're very mindful of the pressure on housing at the moment. So there is that uh, assessment to be made. Can we do a minimal intervention now? But then we have to go back in maybe and do a major intervention, which can be very disruptive for a family. Mm. So again, it's about each home is very, very individual. And I know that's frustrating for people, but that's yep. the facts. Look down from our studio view here onto Patrick Street. Yes. All the available space upstairs. There was a thing in the 90s called the living oh, above the, the shop. Yeah, yeah. Right? And it stopped. Like, look at look at the yeah. property that's and there was living there. there was living cities then as well, yeah. which is look another at the property scheme. there on Patrick mm. Street at. Why on earth could we not have the top floor turned into little apartments? And I think we've seen some of that happen in the city, haven't we? If you look at uh, the old tourist office on the Grand Parade, mm. Focus Ireland have exactly yes, done that. Yes, and that's a brilliant job. And that's a brilliant job, yeah. So again, though, they had to, um, you know, bring it all to the standards and not all of the properties... Um, I've got the space to do that. They were able to use space at the back as well. But I think there's examples on North Main Street. There's examples on um, on Grand Parade. But I think we're all very mindful. The important thing is that we do need people living in the city centre. Mm-hmm. And part of that will be that people can live 
in mm. an environment over over the shop. So I absolutely agree with you, but it's about the, the suitability of all of the properties. I suppose the other thing, PJ, maybe we could all reflect on is not everybody who owns the properties over the shop want them converted because of the disruption of mm. people's washing business. machines and business, etc. Mm. So, you know, there is that. You, 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 have, you have got the... And you have to deal with, it must be acknowledged, I guess, you have to deal with the fact that we have very strong property rights in this country, private property rights. We do, we do, and we would have gone to an Oireachtas committee many years ago and would have flagged that and said, you know, Mm. until there is a change in that constitutionally, we have limitations and that as a local authority. To be fair, Father Peter McVeary himself has said that about the property rights. Well, he'd be a far more, uh, uh, what's the word, scholared commentator than I would be and I wouldn't uh, dare compete with his excellence. Well, let's let's deal with another one that comes up all of the time and 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 this is one that gets emotive and sad. So someone is served with a notice to quit mm. by their landlord. And they're they say, Look, I'm fine with that. It, it's going to happen. I can do nothing about it. So let us say someone has a notice to quit in their hand today for the first of September. They've got to be up at the first of September. Why can they not get any kind of a service from council until they're standing there with their hands hanging to them and their children crying? Because there's nowhere they can sign up and say, I'm going to be homeless in six weeks' time or I'm going to have nowhere to go in six weeks' time. They've got to wait until they're there with their bags, baggage and crying children, which sounds extraordinarily cruel. Yeah. Well, I suppose, Peter, I'm not sure who's given you that information because it's actually untrue. We, Countless callers. Well, uh, let me just maybe set the record straight. Okay. Uh, and if, if people, if they can go to our website and, and look at this information as well. So what the Accommodation Placement Service um, works with households who require emergency accommodation and also for those who've received uh, notice to quit. The message that we've been giving right from the beginning of all of this is the importance of an early um, intervention with us. Because then we can work with people while there is time to make something happen. So anyone who receives a notice to quit is advised to present threshold because, as you know, there has to be the, uh, that's the tenancy protection service to ensure that the notice period is valid and that it's legal, what's been, what's been asked mm. to people. And once threshold has confirmed that valid notice, APS will engage with that household. So there, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. They won't say to me, well, you're going to be homeless on the 1st of September. We'll, we'll talk to you on the 1st of September. No. You're not homeless today. Absolutely not. Because not our they do for me entire today. motivation is to prevent people being homeless, to find alternative solutions for people. So it's not about waiting until the day that somebody um, is homeless to engage with them. It's about engaging now while they're in a home to help secure. So, so are, all the, are all the people who write to me, who email me, who call and talk on the phone about this, are they all wrong? Have they missed something? I, I wouldn't like to judge anybody and why what mm-hmm. what they're saying. All I can do in sitting here in front of you today is honestly share with you the process that's in place. So they will talk to you. Absolutely. We want to avoid people being homeless. That's what it's about. So we will support people. We'll engage with landlords to see if tenancies can be saved. We'll look at suitable options in terms of alternative housing for people. And we have a place finder service as well, which provides financial support in in terms of paying for first month's rent or deposit and and enhanced HAP rates, obviously, also. So for anybody who's deemed at risk. So we have an active... And that in terms of the all of the um, discussion around the 
um, no blame eviction ban um the thing for me was and for our staff and our team was to put arrangements in place to be able to do exactly what I've described and that that eviction ban and the lifting of it there there was it was people were very angry with the, that the council refused to debate it at a special meeting now I know that you're not a member of council but you sit in on those meetings uh, Lord Mayor had the casting vote would it not have been better just to debate it for a few hours and see what had come up rather than just, you know, pushing it away? I think the important thing, PJ, from my perspective, is that we had arrangements in place to support people. Because that's far more important than any debate, in my view, uh, in terms of my job, which mm. is to support council in its work, the elected members, but also to ensure that as the executive and the staff of the executive, that we've arrangements in place, as I've just described, to ensure that there's services there for people. That's what's important. Mm. You didn't feel that anything could be accomplished by a debate. It's not mine to well, have. No, it's a, not, it's not mine did. to have an opinion on PJ. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, we support the elected members and mm. their business, but for me uh, and for the staff, it's about ensuring that we have the services in place for the people who need them. Okay, let me we'll come on to the end shortly. Um, one of the things that people uh, look to in the future is Bus Connect, we've discussed mm. before. Um, is all the funding in place? Will we eventually have all these bus corridors? And will we have to cut down loads of trees to have them? Um, and take away people's the walls The funding and is in place. There is very significant investment in relation to Bus Connects. And I suppose, you know, uh, what, what is you know, that old cliche about judge me, what is it? judge me by what I do, not by what I say. Yes. Yeah. So you can see that we are spending money That's uh, for active travel. Uh, you can see the work we're doing across the city, be it from Colbert Street to McCurtain Street, to the work we've done on Patrick's Quay to um, Lapsky, you know, right across the city. So the money is there. I think that there is a huge, because of the designation that Cork has in the national plans about being that fastest growing region as a counterbalance to Dublin, that the security of that funding is there but I suppose what's important is that we work together to be able to spend that money mm. and that is and I know people get very frustrated about the length of time things take but I, I work for a democratically uh, a democratic organisation in the sense we've an elected council that represents the people and therefore democracy is at the heart of everything that we do so we do have to consult we do sometimes have to compromise in terms of making things happen but there are processes we have to go through and I know that frustration the perception is that our processes or your city hall's processes, the perception is that they're flippant slower than anything else in the private sector or anything else anywhere else in the world. Well, I suppose we can never compare the public sector to the private Why sector not? because the private sector doesn't have to do what we have to do. So if I, if you take uh, Cork City Council and it was a private business and I was the CEO and we'd a board of directors, mm. we would just get on and do it. Yeah, mm. because we wouldn't be interested in the same way as we are in ensuring that we support the citizens of the city because the city is for people. Right. 
And so therefore it's important and public consultation leads to better um, better design sometimes. It does lead to better solutions and sometimes there has to be compromises and that's the way it has to be. Going back to your question about uh, will we have to remove trees, in some instances that may be the case. We've had to remove trees in order to build homes in the city but our commitment is to replace trees. So okay. between last year and this year we will be planting 9,000 trees across the city. Okay, that's that one. Two, two more. One is this has come in um, maintenance. So yes. counts, people in the council house and the boiler is playing up or there's something up. Um, maintenance, delays in maintenance, something's leaking. It okay. take forever to get a plumber out or an electrician out. Okay. Why does it take so long? Um, well, some of it is around just the management of the volume of requests vis-a-vis the resources to address the issues. But we do now have um, a customer uh, a customer response portal where everything is documented. So we have very good data and very good visibility on where issues are, where calls are coming from. And we're moving now to the staff who work on the ground being able to use handheld te- te- oh, excuse me, I'm having a tongue tie there, handheld technology mm-hmm. to be able to you know close out or be able to give information back. So I think that's really, really important. We've also um, I suppose one of the things that the city, and it's re- one of the reasons I suppose the, histi- the history, history is great, um, you know, that there was uh, vacant homes in the past. It's about not having strong planned preventative maintenance programmes. Mm. So we're trying to build and shift from you know, as we've been talking about, you know, getting homes back that then have to be take a long time to bring back because of all the work that has to be done to having a programme of planned preventative mm. maintenance um, in place. So I hope that answers your listeners' um, your listeners' query. Now, one last one, um, and every so often it 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 appears on the newspaper or someone talks about it. Um, congestion charge. Would you, as chief executive, <laughs> ever contemplate a congestion charge? to come into Cork City? Well, I suppose it's not a, a, it's not the Chief Executive's decision. Um, Do you have uh, a view on it? Um, well, I suppose, congestion, well, a couple of things. The first one is that there is a report, a national report, it's called the Five Cities Report, uh, which does look at all of the things that need to be done to address emissions and one of them is whether or not there should be congestion charges in all the cities and maybe if uh, if some of your uh, listeners feel uh, that they want to, that's available on the government mm. website. Like it's already hard enough to be a motorist without that. Yeah, so I think uh, congestion charges are, are not something you could consider without alternatives. Back to the, right the beginning of our conversation, mm. PJ. That's why I wanted people, to bring it yeah, to the end. People need choice. People need to be able to make the decisions to walk, to cycle, to use the bus, to have a park and ride option and then you might be able to consider it. But to me, it would be a measure at the end of all those interventions, not at the beginning. It's not going to happen in... I I don't. I don't believe so. I don't believe it would be the right answer for our city at this point in time. That's a good way to end it. Thank you, PJ. And thank you for your time. And I know we send a lot of questions into City Hall week after week. And that's why we wanted you here today to try and put some of them across the table to you. And people can make of our conversation what they will. But I've certainly enjoyed it. Thank you. Not at all. Thanks, PJ. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 25th to 27th to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. You make me feel... You can host a coffee break, fill a change collector box, or support your favourite sport on Jersey Day. And we're always open to fun new ways to fundraise. So get planning now. Get planning now. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 25th to 27th. You make me... You make me feel... 
only on Cork's 96FM. And Artie, still with me because there was a, a, there's an issue that I want to discuss with you and we completely forgot and that is the dispute in the fire service. Uh, the fire service have told me, the union at the fire service have ensured me that there's no danger if I call out a 999 call, there's mm. no danger I won't get a fire, a fire engine. But what's being done to resolve the problem? Well, I think... First and foremost, maybe can I just, if you can indulge me, I just want to kind of set a context to this and I'd be very, and I'm not going to debate an industrial uh, issue between um, a staff representative organisation and ourselves because I think that belongs in the uh, Workplace Relations Commission. Okay. We've accepted an invitation and I would, I suppose, impress on the uh, the men and women of the fire service to encourage their representative body to go to the Workplace Relations Commission because that's where these things can be resolved. But I do think it's important just to maybe, and I welcome the statement from the uh, representative organisation in relation to that, to reassure everybody that there is no risk and um, that that is really, really important. So a couple of things. We have in Cork City a full-time fire service. A full-time fire service that responds to over 3,000 incidences a year. Um, that fire service is provided uh, and prior to, because lots of people talk about the boundary extension, the Cork City Fire Service, funded by Cork City Council and Cork County Council, remains the same as it did because we always provided that service to the wider area. In Ballancolleg, there is a retained fire service, which is a part-time fire service. It has about 230 incidences a year. So I think that that context is important. So why are we here today? So we've had, in 2020, we ran a campaign for permanent firefighters, mm-hmm. uh, full-time permanent firefighters, and had a really successful campaign. But one of the unintended consequences was that a lot of the retained firemen, mm-hmm. uh, they were all men actually that were in the retained service, uh, were successful in getting uh, full-time fire ser- mm. service jobs. Which left Ballancolleg Which left Ballancolleg without staff. So I think it's really, really important that I uh, reinforce here today. Nobody closed anything in Balancholic because of not having Mm. staff. It had then we were unable to continue the service. Now, we've ran a a very aggressive campaign to recruit retrained fire services retained fire services and that's still ongoing but that campaign has been very slow in its uptake so I suppose one of the things I would ask uh, today and on this on your show PJ is that you know any prospective applicants out there should be aware of the requirements to be a retained fire person in Balancolic. You have to live within five minutes of the station in Balancolic. so the the pool of people who can apply for that retained service are in the Balancolic area. So that competition remains open and we would very, very much welcome anybody that mm. is uh, is interested. But that does require the support of both the community and the businesses right. because people have to. I yeah. suppose the other thing is there's a lot of discussion about this fourth pump. I sp- it's important that that fourth pump was a retained pump, not a full-time pump. And, that, and I believe there is a solution that we can work on this, yeah. but that I, needs to be done in the proper channels, in the um, workplace relations. And that I think is probably best where we leave it yep. in that the, the city as yourself and the city have 
agreed to go to the WRC. I believe from my last conversation with Sifter that so too have they. Oh, fantastic. So, so we let it go to Great. the WRC and we'll talk about that on another day. You had another figure. You oh, found a figure for me. I did, I did. Thank you. The I number of having, houses yeah, that yeah, you yeah, are, thanks, are in PJ. process at the moment. So we have 32 sites across the city at the moment, um, both at a, an affordable and a social level. Our action plan is 5,671 5, up to 2026, okay. which is a mix of both social and affordable okay. homes. So thank you for letting me clarify so that's, that's, that. That's a, that's a, my uh, amnesia there for a minute. <laughs> that's a solid figure. And thank you very much for being with us. And Doherty, just held on to it for a couple of minutes to talk about that fire service. Another big story locally, the departure overnight from Cork City Football Club of Colin Healy. A great servant to the club over the years, Trevor Welsh, but results just haven't been going his way and he has departed overnight by the old mutual agreement thing. Morning. Morning, Paige. What happened? Was it just he came to the end of the of the road? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it was a very eventful day yesterday. Um, you heard the part of his interview, PJ, on, on our news uh, over the weekend after they were beaten, you know, 5-0 uh, at Bohemians on Friday night. He, yeah. was, he was very downbeat, wasn't he? And he was having a go at referees and the standard and so on and the can't catch a break. I mean, you look at the figures, I suppose, you know, one win in the last 10, uh, lost the last four, second bottom three ahead of UCD and conceded more goals than any other team in the league. I think the problem is, um, Paige, you know, the, the, the players that came in, the quality is just not there. So I feel for Colin in that, in that regard because really effectively he's, he's in the Premier Division with a first division team. They won the first division last year, obviously, which is great to get back into the top flight. But they haven't brought in the players, the quality of player. There was a few players come in. They're not good enough. They haven't improved the team. Mm. So he's going into games with a first division team effectively. And, you know, the budgets for other clubs in that league, um, you know, Shamrock Rovers of the World, Derry, uh, you know, Bowes, they all have big, huge budgets. You feel for Colin in that regard. And July now, uh, PJ, the next transfer window. And the owner, I know you had him on recently, Dermot Usher, is going to have to splash the cash. He, he, needs he, to bring has said to, he has said to me that when the time comes to spend, he'll spend. Yeah, and it's, he has to do it. I mean, you know, otherwise otherwise we're going down. I mean, City going back down into the first division, nobody wants that. It's too big a club, you know, and, um, you know, they need, to, I think they've identified a few players, and I think, to be fair to Dermot, I think he's going to splash the cash. That's the next uh, window of opportunity in July. July, be, be both, midway yeah. in the season, isn't it? Yeah, there'll be about 15 matches left. So hopefully they'll bring in a bit of quality and it will keep us in the division. I mean, the gap now between second bottom and third bottom is five points already. If it goes any bigger, it'll be hard to reel that third from bottom team in. If the bottom team goes down and the second bottom will be in a playoff and you don't want that. Mm. The arrival of Liam Buckley. Mm. Significance of that. Yeah, that's the first thing that came to mind, obviously. You know, is it a case? I don't know. What I'm hearing is that of my own sources today, Paige, is that uh, Colin was encouraged to stay, uh, that he, he resigned, he had enough. Um, and maybe that was the, the straw that brought the camels back as such. Bringing in a football director at this point in the season, Liam Buckley, I know he's vast experience, he's won league titles, uh, you know, with St. Pat's, and, and, you know, he's, he's hugely experienced. But does that undermine the manager? His responsibility, his first job would be to recruit, to bring in the players. And does that undermine the manager? I don't know. Um, but uh, maybe 
you know, Collins' his own reasons. Maybe he's he's had enough and feels mm. that the time is right to go. I mean, it's, it's, it's sad to see any legend of a club go. He's, he's there for almost City is in his blood, Trevor. City is his blood. He's passionate. Everyone can see that. He's a very genuine guy. Great to deal with in the media. I found him personally brilliant to deal with Beach. Um, he's an honest man. He was a great footballer. Um, passion, as we said, he's he's doing. He's away for pro badge. He's licensed at the moment. So, with that in mind, you know, obviously he he looked to the future like that. He wants he wants to be a coach, and he's very he's very passionate about it. Mm. And he was the head of the academy there, and he brought great players through. Mm. You know, players that have gone on now and cross channel and everything. So, yeah. you know, he's he's usually influential and important to Cork City Football Club. So, it's going to be a big loss to the club. Then Buckley has said he doesn't intend. To, to be manager, and one will assume that that's how it'll pan out. Do you see anybody out there who could do what what's needed now, Trev? Is it, as well as Dermot Usher spending money in the summer, City mm. need a rescue now. They do, um, yeah, they certainly do. Like you know, uh, the figures don't lie, and the, the pity is like that's you know the, the cross is full now every every home match. They're getting great crowds, speech bigger yeah. than most clubs, you know. Um, so, you know, as you said, it's a massive club. Liam Carney, I believe, will take charge of the team on Friday, not a former player. Um, you know, looking at the managers that come to mind, I can't think of any at the moment. I believe that the Pats manager might be interesting. He was ironically let go last week as well, and that's who they're playing Friday night. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I wonder would the likes of David Myler be interested, maybe. Um, he's done his badges, and I know he wants to go into management. He's with Colin O'Brien. Uh, in the um, I think the under nineteen Irish team, so maybe someone like that might be interested, but hasn't got a lot of experience, mm. obviously in managing. Maybe you need a manager who's been in the league and uh, knows his way around the league and knows how to keep the team up. Uh, but yeah. uh, it'll all come down to what kind of players they bring in in July, and if they can get a few results between now and then as well, just to keep them in the picture that yeah. they'll be there. They're about to stay in the top division. They can't afford for that gap of five. To drift, you really, really can't. They need a couple of wins. They need a couple of wins on the spin, Trev. To be fair, they do, and uh, it's important, like to get something on on Friday against Pats. Who, let's be honest, like I'm not setting the world on fire either. They're seventh. They did beat us well up there, but I think City might get something Friday night. But there's a lot of good players, but unfortunately, there's there's too many players who are not up to uh, the Premier Division standard. I've seen every match this, this year at Beach. You, su- and, you summed it up so yeah. well. We're playing in a Premier Division with a First mm. Division side. And no, that's no disrespect to any player who dogs no. out. They're playing, no. You're playing in a Premier Division with a First Division side. It's, and and, and that, that, that is the, the nub of the problem. Trev, lastly, before I let you go, as host mm. of Premier League Live at the weekends, is it, yeah. is it Cities to lose now? certainly is. I uh, can't seem losing. They're in the groove. I mean, they're unbeaten in 19 straight matches in all competitions. I mean, uh, Haaland is a sensation. He's got over 50 goals. He broke the Premier League record last night. Um, City, like they got West Ham. Um, they beat West Ham, sorry, and they got Leeds on Saturday, and Leeds are struggling. And that's another three points. I can't see City losing it now. I mean, it's phenomenal what they're doing. They're on for the treble. You went back against them, even though Real Madrid could be a stumbling block in the semi-finals. But City, I mean, it's been said they're owned by a country. Uh, the big backers, the oil merchants, and uh, mm. you know, um, it, it's hard to compete against that when you look at their when you look at their bench. The quality they have is frightening. Pity we can't borrow a few. <laughs> Trevor, thanks <laughs> a lot. Cheers, mate. Trevor Welch, a presenter of the Score and Perry Live, uh, of course, ninety six FM. The departure of Colin Healy and. It's been a long time since I met or spoke to Colin, but personally, um, best of luck, mate.
best of luck for the future and uh, as a fan for years thank you for your service 0818 96 96 96 Join the conversation Call us now 0818 96 96 96 This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Cork's 96 FM So it is what? It's six weeks Less than six weeks now to the start of the Cork Midsummer Festival. Another thing that took a back seat uh, because of COVID, but now is back with us. And I'm just browsing because they've just released their program this morning. It's a 12-day festival and there literally wouldn't be enough time to get to or even talk about everything. But one thing is for sure, it'll be a great event across our city, the um Cork Midsummer Festival's director, the artistic director, is Lorraine May. And, of course, we at Cork's 96FM are proud media partners for the festival. Six weeks to kick off. It's all bedding down now, Lorraine. Good morning. Good morning. That's right, it is. It's all, all kicking off today. A foam party, an indoor beach, and God knows what else. Go through some before me. <laughs> um, well, this year we have a big, bright, playful festival for people. Um, with loads to do. We always use the city as the stage. Um, and this year, you pointed out two of the events there. One is um, a, a foam installation called Island of Foam, which will see litres of multicoloured foam coming down John Redmond's uh, Street there in Shandon um, for people to enjoy and jump into at the end if they'd like to, if they'd like to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're, we're also transforming uh, Millennium Hall into a beach uh, we're presenting um, the Golden Lion winner uh, in 2019 from the Venice Biennale. Um, and this is a, a, an opera that's set on a beach that people will watch from above. So you'll be looking down at, at, um, at people on a beach, a beach scene, um, listening to them singing about uh, everyday, you know, sort of things that we think about on holidays um, and, and watching them eat their, their sandy ham sandwiches and all of that. It's an amazing spectacle, a brilliant piece of art. In the Millennium Hall, they're going to. That's right. How are you going to watch from overhead there, Lorraine? So we're building a structure around the perimeter of Millennium Hall. So when you go in, you'll climb up on it, and then you'll be looking down on the beach scene. And there'll be about fifteen tons of sand in Millennium Hall for that one as well. That is an amazing undertaking. Mm-hmm. It's a massive show, a big show, um, and uh, we're really proud and excited to be bringing it to the festival. It'll be the only opportunity to see it in Ireland. Um, and it's great that we can have it in Cork. A whole bunch of new theatre coming in, including um, Siobhan McSweeney from Derry Girls. In uh, It's a new production, is it? That's right, it is. Um, it was online uh, in the pandemic. I think it was January 2021. But this is its first outing on the stage, live in the Opera House. And we're thrilled to have Siobhan McSweeney um, uh, with us in the festival. Um, and Landmark Productions, who are big, long-time partners of the festival too. And then other um, theatrical premieres, we have Rough Magic, who are presenting a show called Free Falling by Georgina Miller. It's the first time that they've ever been in the festival. Um, and Gina Moxley, uh, who will be taking over the Crawford Art Gallery for a, a wild ride of a show. Yeah, I was in, interested in, the, in this the one. You, like, the, the art gallery isn't a theatre, so she's going to use the spaces there and the audience, what, will they move around with her or what? Yes, correct. So the audience will move around. There'll be performers in the various spaces in the gallery and the audience will be wandering around through those spaces and encountering all of the various different um, surprises and delights that Gina has in store for us all. You have opera. That's the indoor beach one. Yep, that's right. And circus. Um, yeah, we have, um, so Fitzgerald's Park, we have uh, a fidget feet 
um, coming to do an aerial dance spectacle. Um, and uh, that'll be a great one for families and kids. It'll be completely for free. And also on the streets, we'll have our Midsummer Parade as well, which we work on with Core Community Art Link. So we'll be taking over um, Oliver Plunkett Street again there for a big street celebration too. Now, I've no doubt that you'll talk more with Elmarie and Connor on the Arts House, and they're far more qualified to discuss these things than I. But one of the highlights that seems to jump out for me is that the Opera House on the 21st of June, Vivaldi, a huge production. Yes. Um, so Vivaldi's The Four Seasons is, you know, one of the most beloved and famous, you know, pieces of classical music of all time. Um, this is Max Richter's reinvention of it. Um, so, so he sort of reinvented uh, The Four Seasons. Um, there is a group called Twelve Ensemble who are coming over from London. There will be 22 musicians on the Opera House stage. Um, and it is truly... It, it gets you in, in every feeling you have possible, this version of, of the Valdez Four Seasons. It's going to be really special on Midsummer Night in the Opera House. That's one I look forward to myself, actually. And you have a parade? Yes, the parade with Cork Community Art Link. Um, we've been developing this now. We, we did the first one last year, um, and this will be the second, so it'll be bigger. And there'll be a finale on, um, on Grand Parade this year as well. So a, another great one for families and everyone. People of all ages come down and celebrate with us. What's the story with ticket prices, Lorraine? Are some of these events free? Or some, are they all paid events? What's the story? Yeah, sure. So there, there are some of the free events. Mostly the on-the-street stuff is free. Um, and then others, uh, there's kind of varying ticket prices. We do have early birds available at the moment for €10 Euro, uh, for lots of the shows. So people want to get in there and grab them. Uh, now is a, a really good time. Okay. Lorraine, it all starts on the 14th of June and runs until the 25th. And Proud Media Partners, we are here at uh, Cork's 96FM. So the the programme launched today for Cork Midsummer Festival. You have a website and all those uh, nice yep. modern things that people can follow yep. you on? Yes, indeed. CorkMidsummer.com. All right. Lorraine, we'll talk again, I've no doubt, between now and festival time. A couple of things to really look forward to. Foam party. Foam party on John Redmond Street. The fun that'll be. That'd be great. 0818 96 96 96. Just some stuff that was coming in while I was talking to Anne Doherty. What should happen and what's happening seem to be all crossed purposes. There can't be that many people telling you one thing and she's telling you another, says Kevin. This I'm presuming is to do with when people go down to the services and can't get a service at ACP until such time as they are actually homeless. And Doherty's insistence is that that is not the case. Um, that's what she said. Can you ask her what the City Council planned to do with the fire station in Ballincollig? I hope she answered that one for you. Um, no maintenance on bike or walking lanes. Broken bollards everywhere and loads of dirt, said Finbar. Uh, during a previous conversation, people said City Hall were throwing out doors and skirting boards. Was that necessary? Says Mrs. O'Connor. Well, Mrs. O'Connor, thank you for that message. I, I did push it with her on the removal of stuff like kitchens and bathrooms and all that. And she said, she made it quite clear here. She said, those are not removed unless an inspection deems them to be necessary to remove. That's what she says. We've heard all sorts of stories about you have to have everything with the same kitchen because one person will be getting jealous of what the other person has. But what she said is if I go into the kitchen and the engineer says, no, that kitchen's a bit old or a bit tatty or might be a bit... Well, out it go. That's her explanation, that anything that is taken out and skipped is taken out for a reason as prescribed by, by an engineer. 
Can you ask why nobody in the council comes out to do maintenance despite numerous calls, says Christina. I think the answer there was, Christina, that they're getting to them as fast as they possibly can. They probably need a whole pile more staff. In Killeen's, why are there no footpaths? We'll then look into getting them on all sides of the city so we and our children can safely walk to bus stops or for recreation and good health. We currently need to drive to a place to get for a walk. That's from Anita. And with lots of other responses, and that full interview with Anne Doherty will be podcasted. Shiona says, on the trees, you can't cut down mature trees on the promise of planting others. Stop wasting our money. Numbers have to be capped on numbers coming into the small nation. Vacant homes left to rot by the council. No legal issues attached to them, says Shiona. I think what I took from the conversation with Anne Shiona was every property that becomes vacant, there is a story. And you can do nothing about it until you get to the bottom of that story. That's what she said. That's her response to the question we put to her. On the numbers of people coming in, and totally apropos of nothing to do with Anne Doherty, these photographs we got overnight of scenes on Western Road, I have no explanation for what they are, but they're the Blarney Stone guest house and a queue outside it of people waiting to get in um, that those are going around the internet with many 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 inches of speculation in terms of the comment section on what might or might not be happening they were sent to us best not to comment because I don't know what was going on there price cuts Tesco have reduced the price of one litre by six cents so it does apply to smaller units. Thanks for that. And finally, did you know the Vikings used to burn turf? I think we've lost the plot completely by banning it. Whatever's causing climate change, it's not that. Sure, it's been around forever. And that's it. Program edited by Imro Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thank you for joining the conversation in whatever way you did. And we will talk to you tomorrow, just after nine. Snap the app on Cork's 96 FM. You won 500 euros! Oh my goodness, I literally cannot believe it. This is just amazing. I'm so happy. 500 no euros. Oh my god! <laughs> yes, way! <laughs> oh my god, thank you so much. I'm over the moon. Hooray! Thanks for reading. I am chuffed. What are we blowing the money on? Oh, me, myself, and I. <laughs> Congratulations to all our winners. Stay listening for our next Big Way to Win. Big Way to Win. The word only on Cork's 96FM. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 